Hello, you lovely, lovely people, and welcome to the latest episode of the BJJ Strength Podcast. Today, I've got a really good episode for you. It's a little bit different to the normal type of discussion. Um, I, I talk with Maine Miller of the Grappling Rewind podcast, and it's a podcast that specializes in recapping and, co- and commentary, um, sometimes live and sometimes post, um, and sometimes even previews of professional grappling tournaments, and we discuss a lot of really good stuff. Um, you know, his favorite format of, you know, competitions, jujitsu competitions, how he can sometimes watch 27 hours of jujitsu in a weekend, how watching all that jujitsu, how he thinks it helps his jujitsu. Unsurprisingly, we, uh, you know, talk about some big names. We talk about performance enhancing drugs and his opinions on that. I thought it was a, a really interesting conversation. Um, so it's it's a little different to, to to normal, but he's he's a really good guy. They've got a, the Grappling Rewind podcast is a great show. You know, check them out on Instagram, Grappling underscore Rewind, and you know all the stuff will be in the bottom of um we mention it in the show and on the show description. So it's it's a little different. Um, but you know, with that, I wanted to just give a little bit of a um you know general advice before this show because it's not your typical physical optimization show and that's one of two things and the first one is taking a break and this is top of mind for me at the moment because I've just come back from a week in in Mammoth Mammoth Lakes one of the one of the major ski resorts a ski or snowboard resorts in the US if not if not the world um I've only been snowboarding for the last three years I don't know the list of all the resorts so you may disagree with me let me know if you disagree with me that's okay um but I, I, had, a, I had a week away with the family and I like to plan in out it's not believe me right it's not always a week up in the mountains i wish i could do that every 12 weeks but every 12 to 16 weeks i you know i do this personally i encourage all my athletes to do it i encourage you to do it have you know a week roughly a week and maybe sometimes longer of a break from intense training with jujitsu doesn't mean you can't train jujitsu at all doesn't mean you can't still watch videos but really you know take your foot off the gas for a good week train very light get out and do some different activities you know don't do the normal weight training or strength and conditioning you do you know i found snowboarding was great for me but you know a couple of days up um doing that in the mountains and you know challenges your body in a different way um so you can still be active you can still look after yourself if you're that kind of person because i i know i personally find it very very hard to um you know to stay um to stay still for more than a couple of hours um so you can still do stuff but i encourage you to plan out your training in 12 to 16 week cycles and you know you can look at the jiu-jitsu calendar year and for me personally um i used to target the europeans when i was living in london but now i'm here in the u.s the big tournaments i target are the pan ams the masters worlds and then the nogi worlds so that's usually march august and december so there's these big blocks and i may compete in between those um but anyway i've I've got you know a whole episode on planning your training which i think is might be the very first episode you can go back and listen to that covers a lot more of this stuff in detail but it's just you to reiterate plan some breaks guys you know um if you just come off the back of the pan arms don't feel guilty if you need to take a few days off reset reconnect with your friends reconnect with your family it will refresh the mind and it will refresh the body so it's worth i think it's advice it's worth repeating now the next bit of advice that i was going to talk about is form 
form when you're tra- any kind of training but particularly when you're doing you know strength and conditioning you know kettlebells lifting weights how important it is to be hyper hyper critical on your form and i'm saying this because I-, I always say this in all my videos but i've been you know putting into practice a new routine and i got a little bit overzealous on wednesday which was yesterday and have ever so slightly tweaked my back it's not going to put me out of training but for one of the exercises, I probably pushed myself a little bit too hard with a weight that was a little bit too heavy before spending, you know, as much time as I probably should have familiar familiarizing myself with that exercise. So I just I want to reiterate to people that um, if you train, if you've got a coach, brilliant. But I know a lot of people can't afford, haven't got time to train with a coach. So one thing I'd recommend is get your smartphone out and record yourself doing some of the exercises. Now, if you want to post it on Instagram, great, but that's not what I'm, I'm telling you to do here. It's record it and look back at it, or even get someone else to look back at it and try to be hypercritical about your form. You should be almost as critical with your form when you're doing strength and conditioning as you are when you do an armbar. You know, you get an armbar wrong, you don't get the armbar, maybe not such a big deal. You get a kettlebell swing wrong or a kettlebell snatch wrong, you put your shoulder out, you put your back out or some other kind of injury. So it's probably even more important to be hypercritical of your form when you're training. So just two things that are really front of mind for me today and I wanted to start off with a bit of just general um, advice. Maybe I'll do this, maybe I'll do it in the future, who knows? Um, Let me know what you think. But with that guys, um, I'm, you know, Coming up, a really good interview with Maine, uh, Maine Miller from the Grappling Rewind podcast. And I hope you enjoy it, guys. I'll speak to you soon. You're listening to the BJJ Strength Podcast. Helping you be your best physically, on the mats and off the mats. The BJJ Strength Podcast. With your host, BJJ Black Belt. And physical optimization specialist Lawrence Griffiths. Hey, just tell me we're going to start. You enter your show, and then we'll uh, we'll get it. We'll do it. Well, we started. I just hit record, but I can edit that. I can edit that first little bit out if I can be bothered later. Um, we can edit anything we want out. Oh, I haven't got time. I haven't got time to do that. Um, That's pretty much what we do as well on our show. Yeah, so guys, you've kind of just dropped halfway into what's already a really good conversation. I'm speaking to Maine Miller, who is one of the co-hosts and founders of the Grappling Rewind podcast. Um, and we, we've been chatting a little bit uh, via Instagram. I feel like I meet a lot of people via Instagram these days. Um, a lot more than I do Facebook. Facebook people tend to just complain a lot, I think. But Instagram's a bit more positive. And uh, you know, we've started already talking about a bunch of stuff. But I think start off main by saying hello and maybe introducing the, the, the Grappling Rewind podcast, what it is you guys do. How you doing? I'm Maine Miller. Uh, I run the Grappling Rewind podcast and pretty much the Grappling Rewind in general. Uh, we are a network and a podcast that covers professional jiu-jitsu on a week-to-week basis and recaps and breaks down and previews all the events that have happened the previous week and that are coming up on the following week. So we run about an hour, hour and a half show, most weeks, that kind of recap everything for the week of jiu-jitsu, talk about professional news. We try to keep it to more professional grappling events, but we will go into some big MMA news, such as like a marquee grappler making a debut and stuff like that. Yeah, and you train jiu-jitsu as well. You've trained jiu-jitsu for several years. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so you're, you so you're not a, you're not an armchair expert. I mean, I wouldn't go that far. I might potentially <laughs> be an amateur expert, um, but I watch a lot of grappling, and I've competed, you know, a, a fair bit. And the guys on our staff competed a fair bit. We have a pretty big smattering of guys with a lot of experience and technical knowledge that play off me and bounce off me as well. So it's not just a, a one-man operation. I always want to kind of stress that there is a team behind me and with me that also helps and works the show. Yeah. Uh, it feels like you're coming into, you've done 75 episodes. You've been going for about two years, a year, okay, about two years. Uh, about a year and a half. We've done a, like one or two, uh, two bonus episodes. So we've done about, we started in November of 2017 with Fight to Win 53. That would be our first episode. Okay. Um, and then we've pretty much done every single week since then. Yeah. So you're, you're coming into, coming to it, coming into jujitsu or the podcast with jujitsu where it feels like we're not really in a professional era of jujitsu, but with the production on some of the shows, with the money that's going behind some of these shows, and there are people now that are legitimately making a good living just from prize money and kind of um, someone like Gordon Ryan, as an example, from just fighting in selective tournaments. And it feels like we're coming towards this professional era. And the other thing I was going to mention when we were talking earlier is with ESPN, taken on the UFC. I have a lot of talk with, amongst my friends with, um, do, you know, will they bring on some of the grappling shows, some of the stuff that's on Fight Pass onto the main ESPN network and start exposing it to a much, much bigger audience? And then does it really become a truly professional sport? I think definitely it's, it's getting there. I think it will take a lot of time because really grappling is much like a lot of amateur sports is the people that watch grappling are grapplers and typically people that are still engaged in grappling. You don't, you don't get many people that I find at least that watch jujitsu events that aren't actively engaged in jujitsu and actively interested in or know people on the card. There doesn't seem to be a huge audience for it outside of that. That yep. being said, it's definitely a growing sport. And so you have things like wrestling, which is again, a very, you know, an amateur sport. Uh, that was on ESPN for a couple of days last week for the NCAA championships. Mm -hmm. So if that can have a showcase there and have an audience that merits it, getting the airtime and getting the professional level of coverage, uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see something like jujitsu that's an active, growing sport, especially on the professional level, getting showcased on something like ESPN or a larger platform at some point in the future. I'm not sure if we're there yet, but we're definitely moving towards, towards that. Um, we couldn't have done the show you know, four years ago. There just wasn't yeah. enough professional events happening on a regular basis for us to fill an episode every single week. And, you know, there's plenty of events that we just don't have the staff and manpower to cover on a week-to-week -week basis. I mean, it's very rare that on our events calendar, on our website, we won't have three events that potentially are happening and streamed and have the ability to cover those on a given weekend. Yeah. Just from... Uh, an amateur on professional level from the, from the uh, you know, if we define a professional tournament as where there's prize money or you're going to get paid to actually perform just in Southern California alone, if you wanted to compete every single weekend, you probably could. Yeah. It's, it's the same way up here in uh, Maryland. Like you may have to drive an hour, two and a half, but almost every single weekend throughout the year, at least three weekends a month, you can go compete in the area if you want to. And that just, that just didn't exist even a couple of years ago. And that's, that's awesome. That kind of speaks to the growth of the sport. It speaks to the sustainability of there's enough promotions that are still growing and popping up and continuing to run events. I mean, 
since we've done this show, we've seen a couple of, I mean, when we started doing the show, Kasai didn't exist. Quintet mm. didn't exist. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones that didn't exist. Um, I, know, I know Polaris is, I think that did exist, but that's still relatively yep. new. Uh, Polaris, I think, started in, I want to say, 2014, right around no. there. I could be wrong. They run about two events a year, and they just had their ninth event uh, a couple weeks ago. So, um, and then, yeah. And then, and then there were some, of the, some that have kind of vanished. Metamoris was one of the big yeah. ones. It's trying to come back, but uh, they've got a little bit of pushback from the Jitsu community because they haven't paid people. Which is, is, that, always- is that true? Oh, yeah. No, there's plenty of guys. I think uh, Josh Hinger posted... Uh, so probably, I want to say within the last month, Metamorris made an announcement on Instagram that like they hinted that they were coming back and then Hallett Gracie got on uh, Luke Thomas's show and May Hour and talked about like basically what they were looking for and then uh, everyone kind of came out of the woodwork that hadn't been paid. Josh Hinger hadn't been paid. I think he was owed like 2500 bucks or 1500 bucks. AJ Agarzarm hadn't been paid. Um, I don't know if Gal Val ever got paid. And there was, there was some numbers that actually came out of like what certain athletes were owed. And it was nothing crazy that came out like $15,000, but it was definitely like 10 or more thousand dollars that athletes were outstanding and hadn't been paid. So, but if you're, if you're a, gra- if you're a gr- full-time grappler, any, any, any money, right, is, is, is a lot of money because it's not a big living even for these top names, you know? So it's all, it's important for them all to get paid. And a lot of those guys make their money on seminars, but it's really hard. I mean, again, I would much rather see the top level guys competing and doing that sort of stuff during their competitive career. Once they've done, then do their seminars, then do your tours and stuff like that. But really the reality is if you win a world championship now, your first couple years after that are where you make your money. Yeah. Or like right now, because you have a name value, you, you are well-known, you're an active current world champion, you understand the meta. That's when people really want to talk to you. And certain guys have managed to build their brand beyond that. And, you know, even after they've retired, been able to keep doing seminars and stuff. But it's, it's a tough sport, especially for the top level guys, because the yeah. level of training that you have to do, then you have all your travel expenses. And the IBJJF just announced that they're going to start paying black belt world champions. Really? I, and I want to say it's like seven grand if you have above 33 people in your division at the black belt level. And there, this year, there won't be. There will be a few divisions that do not have that many competitors in them. But I mean, that's it's a it's a step in the right direction. But it's still, you can't live off seven grand in a year. You're going to have to win other events. You're going to be ha- You're going to have to be teaching at a gym. You're going to have to be doing other things that are taking you away from just being a a full time competitor. Well, and unless that's right now, unless you're a world champion, my understanding is as a black belt or a former world champion, or you're always a world champion, I suppose, um, you still have to pay to enter the tournaments. That's my understanding. You need 50 points and you got to pay. And I'm not sure if uh, that's always the case, but I'm fairly certain if you win a grand slam, it's, you're still required to pay uh, as an entrant. Uh, I, I think Josh Hinger told me this, so I don't know whether it's true or I'm giving out some trade secret. Um, or true for everyone, but he told me once he won his, his Norgi world title, he could enter any IBJF, IBJJF oh, tournament. Because he's a world champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. He's, I'll, a, he's a Nogi world champion. Even though it's not the Gi, he's still, I mean, if you win a Nogi world champion or a Gi world title, you get entrance into whatever IBJJF event that you want because you've, you're a black belt world champion. And for me, that's a no-brainer. I mean, if you're a world champion at any point at the black belt level and you want to compete, I want to just have go compete i want to see it yeah you've earned, you've earned it in my eyes 
it's where, where do you, where do you draw the line if the if you're the IBJJF? I suppose you can't just have everyone turning up and saying, "Well, I'm a black belt; I can enter for free." Um, but you, can you imagine? Honestly, why not? There's not. It's not like there are thousands of like thousands of black belts flooding to all these events. Like black belt, you've put a lot of time into the sport. And again, it, this is sort of a little beyond of what my scope typically is. But yeah, it they're not huge divisions. You're not making your money off your black belts. You're making your money off your white belts, your blue belts, your purple belts, like where the majority of your population sits in these divisions. I think the blue belt, blue belt middleweight is always the biggest, for the most part, the biggest division in any tournament because it's just, it's the most common. You need a couple years to get blue belt and then you're still active. People typically are starting younger. They're not having their kids yet at blue belt if they started as an adult. That's where the average bell curve for size is. And then you watch every other division that's not blue belt middleweights, for the most part, go down. It's so, a, it, yeah, it's typ- it typically can be you know, 100, 150 competitors. Yeah, I think we looked at one year for the Worlds, or it was, it was Brazilian Arrows or Worlds. I want to say it was, um, it was like 120 or 50 competitors in the division. Yeah, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not to the Worlds. freaking out. Give me one second. Yeah, go, you go for it. It's like a pyramid scheme almost. I'm going to try and fill the space. I'm not very good at filling the space when people have got to go off. So I may edit this out as always. It's kind of like a pyramid scheme almost, right? Where people pay all the money at the lower levels and then there's less and less money as you go up. Um, but it kind of, kind of makes sense. I can't imagine LeBron James paying an entry fee to pay at the Lakers. Well, he might at the moment because he's been taken off for the season, but that's another story. Um, Sorry about that. I've just yeah, missed what we're talking about because I thought someone was breaking into my house because my dog was uh, freaking out and losing his mind. Yeah, no, that's that's yeah. You don't want you don't want that. You don't want to go upstairs and find out you've been burgled after doing a podcast. Well, it's funny because he was he was losing it, and I was like, he'll stop losing it in a minute. And then he continued to lose it, and that's relatively uncommon for him. And I went, you know, there's an off chance that somebody is actually breaking into my home right now because of the level that he is losing it. So uh, let me address that. So I better, I'm back. Now. I better go oh, check. God, I apologize. I'm not a problem. I filled. I filled the space a little bit. I was saying it's like a pyramid scheme, where you know people, all the money comes from the lower levels, and slowly, well, it doesn't filter out the top. It escapes out of the top of the pyramid to the IBJJF. Yeah. So again, I have I have my own thoughts on on the IBJJF and their business model. But again, they don't run a whole lot of pro events. We cover them for usually for the majors for Brazilianos for pans for euros and for worlds and then aside from that they're difficult to cover they run long um usually for worlds that's produced fairly well uh they have commentary in those events but other than that they're the kind of their own closed league we'll talk about the point standings occasionally but they as far as the production goes like uae jjf for their grand slam events just amazing production and like it's like a professional event it looks professional and so we we typically will actually give them more coverage just because the production level and quality of their events is so superior and better and they run a more cohesive league format um than Mm. the ibjjf like we try to cover everything for the most part that's that's sort of what we do on the show is our big mantra on the show is if you have a professional event you're paying your grapplers um, you have high-level talent, you have a good stream with good audio and commentary, and you post results up after the event's over within, like, before we record, we try to cover your event because there's maybe somebody that is interested in that event 
or it's happening locally or they know people on the card and you see some really cool matches come out of events that have that level of production. How many different streaming services do you have to have access to to get good coverage of most of these events? So uh, let's go the free ones first. Okay. So Facebook and YouTube, you'd be surprised how many free events pop up on Facebook and YouTube that are actually produced pretty well. Um, Midwest Finishers is one, is one good example. Really great production. Uh, finishers, the standard finishers is on YouTube. It's free. Show the Art puts that on. Um, really good production quality. Then you have stuff like Black Belt CBD, which I think was streamed on Facebook. Again, really good production quality. Then you have stuff that's paid, like pay-per-views, like Fightier TV, stuff like Copa Podia is on that. ADCC South American Trials was supposed to be on that as well. Then you have everyone's favorite, Flow Grappling, mm-hmm. um, and their service, and they run events pretty much every single weekend. Then you have Fight Pass, um, which runs Quintet, Polaris, and now is actually just announced it's going to run Chael Sonnen's organization, SUG. Uh, they got back on the Fight Pass, and then it also runs Quintet. So you need about six and then occasionally um fight tv will run events like they run men of war they run rise recently and then i right now i think that's the only uh those are like the seven services you need to watch pro bjj so let's uh, if you if you take that and compare it to the nba for example that's all of those costs there close to a hundred dollars a month uh, let's see. Flow Grappling, we got a year subscription that runs about 150 Fight okay. Pass runs about $97. Uh, let us see. I don't have YouTube Red, so I don't pay for that. Uh, same thing with Facebook. Then you have your odd pay-per-view every week. Oh, yeah, like something like BGJ Stars or their own standalone pay-per-views. Those would be 10 to $15. bucks. we will do usually one of those a month. So you're at uh, probably like 30 30 40 bucks a month. If you buy the, okay, it's not so bad then. Cause I think, it's not, yeah. I mean, it's not great, but it's, it's also, most people aren't going to buy and going to do every single event like we are, but yeah. we are, I mean, this is what we do. We cover professional jujitsu and that's kind of a cost to entry mm-hmm. as, as part of doing that. It's like having a cable TV subscription. I mean, I pay, I pay less to watch professional grappling than I would if I were to have cable probably. Cable TV in this country and the internet is so damn expensive. I don't think people realize how much more expensive it is in, compared to Europe. I just it, can't watch commercials. I just oh. can't do it. I stopped, I stopped doing it. I stopped watching TV when I got Fight Pass back in college. And uh, I've never looked back. It's amazing. I, just don't, I can just watch something and not have it interrupted. And then when I, watch, like, uh, when I do watch the UFC or MMA promotions, I always forget when there's so many commercials. I'm like, I just want to watch the thing I'm watching. And so yeah. that is one big benefit to watching grappling is that there's no money in it. So there's not a whole lot of commercials. At the Even moment. I run some commercials. At the moment. I mean, honestly, I'd like to see more, more commercials because that means the promotions are getting paid and then yeah. they're able to support themselves and support the athletes. So commercials aren't necessarily all bad. I mean, I don't really have a problem with it, but it's just the level of commercials on a traditional TV services is pretty huge. And uh, I'm happy to not have to deal with it. But it's, again, it's a similar cost. We pay that much money every month to cover all these events, but I don't pay a TV subscription. So it, for me, it balances out. I've been thinking, when we start talking about commercials, I've been thinking about this over the last couple of days that there are, I think with a lot of different changes in society that you see or different forms, of, I'm going to talk about blues music as an example, right? Because I'm, I'm a big blues music fan. Um, what era of blues? 
Oh, I will go. I can listen as far back as like Charlie Patton from like the nineteen twenties, but I can't listen to it a lot. But then, like, like Sunhouse is too far for you. No, Sun, I love Sunhouse. Okay. Sunhouse is a, a little bit later, I think, than Charlie Patton. I, I, I listen to Robert Johnson a little bit. More of the stuff I've... I go through periods. Not, okay. pe- not periods in terms of I'm going to focus on this era, but I go through periods of listening to certain musicians that I like. So I'm on a really big Freddie King kick at the moment. Okay. Really, really big Freddie King kick. Um, but anyway, the, 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 the point that I was going to make is that people, I think, can wrongly assume that blues was always this organic folk music that evolved that belongs to the people and is kind of you know unique and um you know distinct from you know commercial music etc cetera, etc cetera. but some of the stuff that i'm now reading even as far back as the 30s and 40s there were certain people that saw there was an opportunity to make money from blues and actually started to distribute these records more widely to make money from it. And that, in turn, grew blues music. So it's, you can never, you know, some people like to say that, okay, when it's people are not getting paid, it's more pure, it's more true and stuff. But the reality is that the growth of these things typically goes in hand in hand. Something starts to evolve and someone's going to see an opportunity to make money from it. They put more money into it and therefore it grows and evolves. And I think it's, you can never really divorce the two completely. No, and I think it's not, it's not bad for guys to get paid. I mean, if oh, no. more people are getting paid, then more people can do prof- do jujitsu professionally and then continue to grow the sport. And so like promotions like Fight to Win, they post their payouts every single week. And it's awesome to see like consistently they are paying out between thirty and $45,000 to the athletes on that card. That's great wow. to see. That, it starts there and that's where you build up. EBI pays the winner. Um, and you know, a bunch of other promotions also pay out their guys. And that's, that's how you get big marquee talent onto your event and the level of people that we are really interested in seeing that that's how you get them is you got to pay them. And that's, I think that's a good thing. Mm. You know, it's difficult because there's not as much money and because the, the market is small, but it is growing. And like I said, we didn't have, we couldn't have done this show four years ago with the level of promotions that exist now we have more than we can cover on most weeks. And, that, and for me, that's a good problem to have. I, I want to see more talent getting showcased and more professional jiu-jitsu available for people that want to compete on that card, want to test themselves against high-level competition. And I love like qualifiers, like certain events, um, Third Coast, Kasai, they run qualifiers for their events. And it's an amateur tournament. And if you qualify, you get a slot in the big tournament against the big guys and you can earn your spot in. So I like all of that. Yeah. I do like the idea of people, people being able to earn a spot and come in. And that's when you see these upsets, you see, you see grapplers that come in and they've got no name and suddenly they're turning over a bunch of well-known black belts. And it's, I think everyone loves, it's an underdog story, right? Everyone loves an underdog story. Yeah. It's, it's awesome because there's so many guys that we've seen come out of qualifiers that were for us at least completely unknown or like I've heard the guy's name, but I've never seen him on an event before. They get that showcase. Maybe they get taken out in the first round or maybe they go around and they don't usually end up winning, but it showcases a guy and it puts a guy on the map that is a real contender at that level and gives him an opportunity like Keith Ricorian. He was a guy that won the qualifying spot for an EBI back two years ago, almost as a purple belt. And 
has since went on a tear in 2018 into 2019. He had like two losses in 2018. He was like 73 and two. And like, that was a guy that I first heard of on the qualifier. He won the qualifier, got the spot. He beat a black belt in the first round. And it was like, okay, this is a guy to watch. And there's plenty of guys every like every couple months when somebody runs a qualifier that puts a guy up and gives you another name to watch. Oh, this guy, you know, he fought through a pretty tough division. He's a guy to take a look at. Same thing with ADCC qualifiers. Every like Nick Rodriguez came out of the last one. It was mm. who is this guy that like placed at the East Coast trials and then ended up winning the West Coast trials that is this new like nine month grappler and yeah. he's been featured on a bunch of super fights now and we get to see him develop as a grappler on his run up to ADCC. Like that's what gets me excited. Like stories like that where you see someone you had no idea about and then you watch them grow as a competitor and a grappler and take on those big names. You don't yeah, it's hard to find that in many other sports. Right. You don't just come into, you know, major league baseball and suddenly become a starting right. pitcher. It's very, very rare. The people there's who is who's the guy with the big ginger beard for the Dodgers? Hits a lot of home runs. I forget his name. Um, but he was until two or three years ago was in like the B leagues. Or I, I'm not a big baseball person, so I'm not going to get the right terms. Turner, you have you have surpassed all of my baseball knowledge really tenfold. No, I, I've no, I know nothing about other sports that aren't jujitsu for the most part. Like I, I have a lot of MMA knowledge and I have a pretty good knowledge of jujitsu. Once I step outside of that. Um, I am one of the least knowledgeable people available for other sports. I've put all my eggs in combat. In one sports. basket. Yeah. Yep. Even if you go into boxing, like my boxing knowledge isn't that great. My kickboxing knowledge is in. My Muay Thai knowledge is in. I got jujitsu and MMA and that's about it. Yeah. Talking about someone that puts their eggs in, all ba- in, in one basket. Have you watched the documentary called Free Solo? No, I haven't. Oh my God. Um, the, I, what, what documentary is it? It's it's on. You can get it on a cup on a couple of different platforms. I rented it on Prime for like four four dollars, and it's about there's a Alex Honnold, I believe is how you pronounce his surname is is a rock climber, one of the most famous rock climbers. Oh yeah, this guy. Okay, yeah, he soloed you know, the um. Uh, the, yes, and without without a rope. Yeah, three thousand feet without a rope. Yeah, no, you, I rock I rock climbed in college for like three years. Okay, and. It's a lot of fun, but I like top rope. I did bouldering. I like the rope. <laughs> I like my life. Like I'm not a big fan of death. I, I try to I try to avoid it at all times <laughs> for the most part. But I got good at fighting. Um, yeah, man, he's crazy. Watch the documentary, but it's it's you know you say you've put all your eggs in one basket, and I, uh, the, the more I look at people that are really successful, for most of these people, there are always exceptions. They tend to, at least for a, a defined period of time, put all their eggs in one basket and focus yeah. on these one things, you know? You got, you've kind of got to be directed because if you, if you have all these disparate interests and spend all this time in other places, you never have enough time, at least in my understanding, what I've seen from the top level guys is most of them are in pretty much any sport are somewhat limited in other significant aspects of their life because you don't get to that top level without making some pretty substantial sacrifices in other places in your life. Yeah. Now you look at all the, all the top guys, all the top MMA guys, they're pretty beat up at the end of their career. All the top jujitsu guys, they're pretty beat up at the end of their career. Cause like you've had to make other sacrifices from a physical perspective and they don't have a whole lot else that they're engaged in because to get that good, you kind of have to put all your eggs in one basket. 
it's all encompassing, isn't it? Jiu-jitsu and because the, there's no, there is no season. People talk about the gi and the no gi season, and I think you could, you know, generally split it in some ways, but less so now with the professional events. But I want to say it's more of a joke. People say now. I mean, it kind of is like it's gi season, it's no gi season. Like after Worlds begins no gi season, but we're in an ADCC year. If you're serious about ADCC, you're kind of in no gi season now. Yeah, you're you're entirely in Nogi season right until right up until ADCC. Um, did you did you watch the High Rollers event that happened in Philadelphia? Uh, the amateur one? No, I didn't watch that one. I watched the the first one, second one, and the third one, but I didn't I didn't watch the amateur event they ran last weekend. Yeah, because one of my training partners, Diego Vasquez, um, he's. They, 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 him and um, another training partner, Mike Egley, both traveled out to, I believe it was in Philadelphia, traveled out there to, to compete. Was it Philly or Pittsburgh? I don't know, one of the two. Okay, I think, it was, I think it was Pittsburgh. I could be totally wrong about that. I just have it on my calendar as High Rollers Open Tournament. <laughs> you probably know better than I do, right? You're far more clued up in the tournament. Let's call it Pittsburgh. But uh, Diego, who's, who's a purple belt, entered the brown and black belt division and got all the way to the final. And then faced off against DJ Jackson. And huh, good luck. He, he went. He went for like fifteen minutes, fourteen yeah. fifteen minutes with D. And so did really. I haven't seen the fight, but I hear he did really, really well. So it's another example of, you know, someone who's just coming out of nowhere, fights fights a big name, and you know, got got caught in the end, but put out a really good performance. Yeah, that's always fun. Like I like I like I love watching those for that reason because you see you see a regular guy that you're not as familiar with go against like a standout world champion level guy like DJ Jackson. Like that's yeah. exciting. That's super. Like no other sport does that exist, especially in combat sports. No, like no one can just go and fight GSP, but DJ Jackson entered the one side of the bracket. You're on the other side. You guys meet in the finals. Like if you're, if you're good enough to make it to him, you can totally fight him. If you have 50 points and are a black belt, and you register for the world championships, you can fight Shane. You can fight Josh Hinger. You can fight Galvao when you still compete. Like that's available to you if you're good enough to get there. That the is mas- a, or you go crazy. to the master. Or you go to the Masters Worlds. You don't even need to ha- need to have the points for the Masters Worlds. And you'll still you go to Masters One and you still have because Josh did the Masters Worlds. Right. They'll have the people, the world champions, in, and I've I, I, I fought and lost against one of them a couple of years ago. It happens, right? And it's for me, as an amateur, as, as an I, you know, I train a lot of jujitsu, but you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hobbyist competitor. Let's call it that, right? I don't compete as much as I used to, and as much as these top level guys. But for me, looking at the bracket and seeing that big name, I was like, I don't care what happens. I get the, if I can get to fight that person, that's it. Right. I've, won, I've won my tournament. I don't care what medals. That's a win for me. That's so cool. It's like, I'm going to try to beat the guy. Um, I probably can't, but it's like, if I grab his neck and I squeeze real hard, like <laughs> he's the person, he'll go to sleep. I've seen yeah. it happen. Yeah. I've been on both ends of that. So it, but that there's very few sports that exist like that, that are still even at the professional, at the highest level, open amateur tournaments that anyone can qualify for and sorry, register for. Masters Worlds is the craziest thing ever at the black belt level because it's a bunch of guys that are former adult world champions. They get a little older and decide to keep competing. And you're like, you, you're a world champion. Like, you know that, right? The game's going to Masters Worlds this year. It's going to turn up. It's going to turn up. You're like, yeah, this is the older guy tournament, man. You're not like, you won the younger guy tournament. You, you can't do that. 
I'm, I'm at this funny stage where I'm in Masters 2 from my age, but I'm more than capable physically of still fighting at Masters 1. And now, you know, now and again, I'll still do an adult tournament. Um, but you, you have this situation with Black Belt that, you know, okay, physically maybe it's different as you get up through the brackets, but then you could be fighting someone who's been a Black Belt for 20 years. Yep. Right, it, it happens. I'm super excited to age in the master's division. I'm 27. I've got like two and a half more years to go. I'm getting ready to fight old guys. It's going to be great because I'm fighting guys that are like 19, 16, you know, 20. It's like all you do is train to beat me. Yeah. That's it. Like I have a job. I've got a relationship. I've got a house and a dog. All you have is jujitsu and you are 19 years old and you're going to try to break me. And I'm going to try to break you back, but the odds are not stacked in my favor. <laughs> it's my uh, herniated back and broken back right now. So, you know. You may break, yeah, you may break earlier. It's a different kettle of fish speaking to, um, you know, competing with people that train full time, regardless of, regardless of the belt level. It's oh, just- yeah. You're, you're dealing with a professional competitor at that point. And if you are not a professional competitor, you may go far. You could totally beat that guy, but the odds aren't stacked in your favor. Uh, also, mismatches make highlights. We all pretend they don't, but the first round of every tournament is always amazing to watch. Yeah. For those reasons, because you get some guy that really doesn't belong against some other guy, and uh, the first guy will highlight him. Yeah. And it gives us stuff to talk about on the show, and it's super engaging. What, what, are, what are the... Uh, yeah, I was going to ask the formats, actually. What are the good good tournaments in terms of formats that you really like at the moment? So it all depends what you're interested in. If you, want, if you like the suspense of a bracket or you like good super fight matchups. Mm-hmm. So it's, it all depends. Like Quintet, I think, is one of the most exciting formats because of the rules. Um, you are losing until you win. Is basically why it works so well. Because is, if you is, yep. is quintet where they have so two people start off and then mm-hmm. the win the winner stays in and then the other yes. person comes in. It's like King yep. of the Hill. Yes, it's happening this weekend on Fight Pass. It's the women. It's the women um, lightweight tournament, mm. and we previewed it on our show this week. And I am super excited for it. This is the first female quintet they're doing, but you're losing until you win. If both of you finish and it is a draw, there's no overtime. There's nothing like that both grapplers are eliminated and you go to the next person on the team. So it's a double loss scenario. So people are really into subbing the other person because that's the only way that you stay in and you win for your team. And so you're losing the, until so you if win. The, if time runs out, you bo- you're both out. Yep, it's a draw. And then both grapplers are eliminated and they move to the next grappler on each team. So it, you are significantly incentivized in a way that really no other format can can replicate to submit your guy. Has there been any, to- any, any, any tournaments, the Quintet format, where one person submitted everyone all the way through? Not yet. Um, Gordon Ryan got three guys in the last Quintet okay. in a row, and that was super impressive. Um, but again, you have a ringer like Gordon Ryan versus, versus people that, that might happen. So no one's, no one's submitted all the way through yet, but usually there's four teams. Yeah, okay. So the first two teams go against each other, one team's limited, second two teams go against each other, one team's limited, and then the two winning teams go against each other, and the, and the order flips. So any grapplers that haven't gone yet have to go first. Mm, so okay, it, so- it sets it up that you see everyone from each team, typically, and 
you can't just stack your ringer at the front both times. That's cool. It's a cool format. Like, it's a really good format. I like it for action. But then again, it comes down to promotions. Like, Polaris, it's, it's all about what you like. Polaris has a 15-minute round, which is a really long round sometimes. But if you get two guys that can push action, you get one of the best matches of all time, Gary Tonin versus Usamar Palhares. It's great. Fight to win on a weekly basis will showcase local area talent in conjunction with, like, world talents they've flown in to fight for a title belt. And so it, it all depends on what you're looking for. Um, I can't, and Kasai. Kasai runs really interesting super fights as well as really interesting like uh, round robin formats where you have eight grapplers, you have four grapplers on each side, and then there's a round robin on the one side between the four grapplers. The winner of that side that has the most points by submission, by draw, or by loss, basically, of that who goes on to fight the winner of the other side of the bracket. So you see a number of super fights, basically, in the bracket format, and then you see the two winners on either side fight. That creates mm. a lot of you know, outstanding action. So each format has its pros and has its cons. Then you have stuff like Grappling Industries will run submission only, no time limit. And then those can go with like Keenan and Gordon Ryan, who went super long. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple weekends ago, we had Craig Jones versus Tim Spriggs. It was like a five and a half minute match. Yeah. So it's yeah. all about what format you prefer. Um, Meal and I are a big format, big proponent of the six minute time frame. Okay. We just think if you have a, like for IBGD, if they run a 10 minute match, you have usually two minutes, two and a half minutes of a feeling out process between both grapplers. Typically, you know, you don't, especially if it's a, if it's a tournament format, you've had multiple bouts in the same day. You know, you can't just run for 10 minutes at that speed. So you have two minutes of feeling out, then maybe it gets to the ground, then maybe there's an attritive passing sequence, then both guys kind of rest, and then you push action. And that's how a lot of the matches go. With UAE JJF, you have a six-minute time frame. There's typically less of the feeling out process because if you feel out for two minutes, you only have four minutes left to work. And at the black belt level, it very well might take you more than four minutes to pass the guard. So mm -hmm. we find the shorter formats typically will push the action more. And that's why we like them a little easier, a little more, because they just push the action a little more, a little more effectively. Funny you should say that. I agree with you from a watching perspective. It does make it more interesting. From a competitor perspective and a jujitsu perspective, I've, uh, you know, I can only blame myself for this, right? I'm not blaming the format, but have lost a lot of fights over the last two years in five, six minute fights where I get down by two points. That's it. And it's very, very hard um, to then come back and score in that, in that short period of time. You know, Hickson would say if your jiu-jitsu was good enough, it doesn't matter, right? The rules don't matter. Um, yeah, but he's also like a multi-time, like amazing black belt. <laughs> It was, it was born into the Gracie family under the pioneers of the sport. Like, we're all not quite in that scenario. I got into jiu-jitsu in college, like late in life, yep. after my athletic prime, really. So it's like we're not on the same playing field there. If my jiu-jitsu was good enough, I'd be fighting black belts. But it's not, so I'm not. Yeah, de no, definitely not. Definitely not. It's, it's, it's interesting, right, how the sometimes – what's better for the sport in terms of watching it isn't always the best jujitsu. Well, it depends who you talk to about what the best jujitsu is. You know, if, you, if you're very old school in terms of your approach, then it's a case of survive first, 
don't get beaten and then eventually beat the person, right? Right. But the reality of, you know, most fight situations, if you get into a fight situation and we're talking about jujitsu and self-defense, the reality is it's going to happen within about 30 seconds to a minute and then it's going to be done and you've got to be able to deal with a lot of stuff very, very quickly. You've got to deal with the blitz. The, yes, it's a very good way to put it. And if like, if you can, de- honestly, that's why if you're interested in self-defense, do MMA for about six months. Okay. And then you'll figure out, I really don't want to get in a fight because getting punched in the face isn't great. And you'll figure out some tools for defusing a situation that will uh, get you in a lot less fights. Yeah, you did MMA for a little bit? A little bit. That's why I started. Yeah, okay. And you didn't like getting punched in the face? No, I, I loved it. But uh, I was trying to study microbiology and get a master's degree. And uh, coming home after getting punched in the face repeatedly and trying to study a microbiology textbook wasn't working out that well. So <laughs> I, I was like, I'm just going to do this grappling thing because um, I can think after a session. Were you getting concussed? And that's why you could... I mean, I wasn't, I, I'm a chinny individual to begin with. So you punch me a little bit. It, it rattles things around. Definitely, yeah. definitely get a little concussed, but that's yeah. why I, started, because I realized that I, I just wasn't for whatever reason, I just wasn't built for it. And it was fun, but it, I knew what it was going to do long-term. And I knew that like, even at the baseline that I was doing it, never really had an interest in fighting. Like I love the sport. It was a lot of fun to do but I knew where it led and it did, mm-hmm. never led to me. Like I started too late in life and the sport's really dangerous. And so you combine those two things. There's not a huge upside to me getting really into it at the age I started. Yeah. I, I'm a fan and I've done it. So now I understand enough about the sport to be able to speak about it from a semi-intelligent perspective of like an analyst, which mm-hmm. is really what I wanted. Yeah. And so, but uh, yeah, getting, I got, I got kneed in the face a bunch and I got kicked in the head a bunch and uh, my nose is never going to look quite the same. Ah, uh, yeah. It's a big price to pay for something that's just a hobby, right? You've got you've to be in it, I think, fully for MMA. Right. But that's could... why I speak because like the face isn't winning any prizes here. <laughs> so that's why you choose the podcast format. That's why we have an audio podcast format. So you until... don't have to look at my face for the entirety of the show. Until, until ESPN decides to do a grappling show and then they can pull you on. And they'll put me, up, they'll put me in a bag. No, they'll put you next to like some of the MMA fighters, man. You, you, you look awesome next to them. This guy looks great. What happens? He can't fight. He can only grapple. All right, that uh, makes sense. He hasn't been beaten around the face with a baseball bat. Jesus. You're getting shin kicked in the face. It's not a great day for anyone. It's rough. Like it's, I remember sitting in a McDonald's parking lot just looking at my steering wheel going, I got to drive 15 more minutes home. I don't know if I can do it right now. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's too much. But then again, from grappling, I have a broken back right now. So like pick and choose your battles. Like we do combat sports. It's not really ever going to be great for your body. So that's why, again, I love watch. It's just amazing to watch the guys that on a week in week out basis compete at that level. Like guys like Craig Jones flying all over the planet, competing in stuff from England and Australia and in America and all over the place it's crazy to watch like what he's able to do at the level he's able to do it because I train and compete casually and I'm, I'm pretty busted up at this point. I'm also like a child size adult at about 145. So that probably doesn't okay. help too much. Yeah. Yeah. You te- yeah. If you're smaller, you can take more of a beating for sure. Man, definitely, definitely took a beating. Craig Jones is someone that didn't pop out of nowhere. I'm not like, I don't follow your grappling definitely as much as you do, but, 
um, you know, even as much as my friends. I, you know, I'll watch the big tournaments. Um, I've got two kids, right? I've got a wife. Um, you know, I, I grapple when I grapple off that. I've got other stuff I need to focus on. But Craig Jones is someone that ten, almost, well, he didn't pop up from the IBJJF ranks. He came up through a very different path. And, and that's a lot more common these days. Whereas beforehand, you either came through ADCCC um, or IBJJF. Typically. For the most part. But yeah. honestly, in a, a big way, those were really the only professional level tournaments. Mm-hmm. So that's really the, you, that was how you came up because that was the only way to come up. And so you still definitely have two different schools of, of grappling right now mm. where you really have, you have the submission only guys or like the super fight guys that are getting on a lot of the smaller cards or the larger cards as marquee names in that scene. And then you have like the IBJJF field and crop which is a much more defined league. You watch guys rise up from the blue belt to the purple belt to the brown belt into the black belt level. And you can kind of watch their rise through the belt ranks. And then by the time a guy, like a, a competitor that you're going to know about, gets to black belt, you're pretty familiar with him because you've watched him win for a couple years at this point at the lower rankings. He's usually got some hype behind him. Guys like Kanan Duarte. Mm-hmm. He got black belt about eight months ago, and he has already won two titles on the way to a Grand Slam this year in the Gi. Like, you knew about him. He was the guy you were watching come up through that scene in that circuit. He is not as involved in, like, the su- a bunch of other super fights. You pretty much see him on major IBJJF and UAEJJF events. That's really where you see him. And then he, he doesn't engage as much in those little tournaments. You have plenty of other guys that are grinding on, like, the sub-only and super fight scene, and they come up through that. And typically, those guys will go into the ADCC route. Yeah. Because it's a qualifier. It's a tournament. There's a lot more no-gi in that scene than there is in the IBGGF scene. IBGGF, because of their rule set, kind of hampers their self. It's not really... No one takes it... Or not as many people take it as seriously because there's so many limited rules when it comes to leg attacks and just the way in which you can attack the body. Yeah is really why. So because we have ADCC and we've seen the other side of it, people are much more interested in the ADCC rule set because when you win ADCC, there's no question that you are the top Nogi grappler. If you win an IBGGF Nogi World Championship, that doesn't necessarily translate to you being the best grappler. I mean, if you go back and look at that list, there's a bunch of guys on the, on the Nogi Worlds list that you are very not familiar with. Like AJ Agazarm is a black belt world champion in Nogi. Yeah. And very, very, very good grappler. Everyone kind of gives him a lot of shit for whatever reason, pick and choose. But he's a very good grappler. But if but you've looked at his performances in ADCC, he does well, but he's not just crushing guys at the ADCC level. That's fairly, I think that's a fairly, fairly recent change though, where you look at, if you look at some of the historical ADCC champions, they were also the Gi Jiu-Jitsu world champions that tended, tended, to, tended to win both. Marcelo Garcia is a very good example. Hodger Gracie is another really good example. But it seems to be shifting, and it seems to be a, a lot. It's, it's leg locks, right? It's people specializing in, in leg locks, and particularly in heel hooks that I know growing up doing my, through my Jiu-Jitsu career, it's something that we barely touched upon. But now that's completely flipped grappling on its head. And what was really good about seeing um, Gordon Ryan win the Norgi Worlds, take you know, the, the absolute and his weight class, 
was he could he showed that okay these guys coming up are not just destroying people with one specialist area of the game they're also complete grapplers because they can also go into an IBJJF Nogi tournament and still win these major titles yeah you put Gordon Ryan in any tournament like he's probably gonna win Gi or Nogi uh, Nogi Nogi I mean in yeah. the Gi he's talked about openly that like He's just not as good. He's talked about it. He made posts when he was going to do the gi stuff. And he's like, yeah, I'm not doing as great in the gi. And he knew it would take him a couple years before he could get the grips down and master and figure it out. But he can still probably beat a lot of guys that are like right below the elite level in the gi. Because the majority of what he does will transfer over. Yeah. Like yeah. Been, but again, if he goes against a guy with like a black belt elite world championship level spider guard, he may run into more problems because he, his game just isn't as crafted around dealing with that particular style of gripping. And like if he goes against lapel guards and worm guards, he just hasn't had the time to drill exactly the correct movements he's supposed to be doing. He's yeah. probably going to do pretty well on just his backbone of being one of the best grapplers overall, but he just doesn't do the gi. Has he? I know he's mentioned MMA. Has he got anything lined up? Any fights? Do you know? I mean, he's he's fixing his knee right now because yeah. his his knee got jacked in uh, at uh, Kasai versus Ja Gabriel, and he hasn't announced anything. He's still in the brace. All the pictures of him on Instagram are still with him in the brace. So I think he's got a pretty lengthy recovery. Uh, there's a big question to see if he'll actually make it to the IBJJF uh, GP, the heavyweight GP, in August. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if he'll actually make it to ADCC in September. So right now, he's announced that, yep, both those are still on, but given the nature of the tear that he had and the injury length that it takes to recover that, it's, um, it's still a big question, I think, in our, and it's on, on the show at least, in our eyes, if he'll be able to do that, given the, just the you know, recovery time associated with that. Yeah, or if it's smart to even do that. It's definitely smart to do it. Because smart. you can, yeah, I mean, look, ADCC is every two years. If you are qualified to be in ADCC, you show up to ADCC. Like, oh, do you? He, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I may disagree with you on that one. Um, if you're, he's won it already, right? He's already got a name for yeah. himself. And if his knee was, if he's not, if you got to think about the long term, right? I don't know. That's what I, I'm, I, you know, my specialism, specialism is in you know physical optimization. So I'm thinking about right. the body in a different respect. Yeah, um, and I, I cover competitors, so I'm thinking like, how hard can this guy go until the wheels fall off? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's honestly a lot of the mindset of these guys is you watch what they do and how they train. Uh, when their careers are done, their body is in relatively rough shape. So I want to see him compete, but I totally understand your point as well. You know, if if he can't get to 100% and he gets potentially injured again, because you know once you damage the knee, the knee is never quite the same. You can rehab it. You can get it real close, but it'll never be 100% pre-injury. Yeah. It'll always be 95, 98, 96. And at that top level, percentage points matter. Yeah. Like guys aren't 30% better than other elite outlier black belts. You know, you're dealing with those small, tiny, minute percentages. And so I hope it heals. He's young enough where, honestly, he should be able to get it pretty close to full recovery. And I hope he does because he is amazing to watch. He's exciting. He submits guys. And he puts a lot of eyes onto jujitsu, you know, through the social media stuff. And he pokes at people. Yep. That's not necessarily bad for the sport. But I deal with it all because he can back it up. 
Yes. And I want to see him. I want to see him back up ADCC. I want to see him go in once, have the injury, come in again, and can he do it again? Can he beat Pena? I want to see that. Okay, so I was going to ask you who you'd like to see him fight, Felipe Pena. Felipe Pena, because it's been two years and he lost to him, and I want to see him do it again. Because like I don't recall the last guy that beat Gordon Ryan. Like Craig Jones got him close in EBI with the armbar, but it. I mean, I could be completely speaking out of my ass here. I think it was Pena. And like, if that's the only guy that can beat you, like he ran through Nogi Worlds, he ran through Nogi Pans. He had some tough matches in there, but he won them all. Yeah. He won every super fight he's been on. You know, he's the one dude. And he openly talked about like, he didn't want to rematch him immediately because he needed to add more tools to his game and more skills. Because look, you saw how the match went. He needs to add more stuff. I want to see them both match up again. I want to say there was a picture today that was posted on Instagram of him, Bouchesha, uh, and Gordon at Fred Manner's place. I don't know whether that's... I was told... I thought that was an April Fool's one. I thought I, it was posted today. Yeah, so you meant to do it before 12 o'clock, right, on April 1st. I don't know. Someone if said... If it's a Photoshop, that's a good Photoshop. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Let's have a look. See what comes up. Yeah, here's, here's a it full looks, It looks like it, man. It looks like it. It's posted four hours ago. It's Pena, it's Bouchesha, it's Donaher, and it's Gordon in the leg brace sitting in the blue basement. Yeah, I can see it. I've got it on his post, on his post. And then a bunch of photos of him with his tits out. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah that's, that, that shirt's a little low cut <laughs> for, for my taste. He knows. Well, he's playing the game, man. He play, he's playing the game. Good for him. He's 23. Is he that? Like is that? he that young? I maybe maybe twenty four. He is young. Enjoy it, man. You're the you're one of the best grapplers on the planet. Whatever you want to do, as long as you're not doing anything illegal or like getting arrested or going down that path. Talk all the shit you want. Be as flashy and as loud and as engaging. As long as when it comes time to compete, you show up and you can beat everyone. You kind of get in my eyes at least. You kind of get licensed to do whatever you want. Yeah. As long as you can back it up. That's always my big thing. That's kind of what we talk about on the show a lot of times is say whatever you want. Back it up. If you can back it up, I have far less problems with whatever you say because you can back it up. He's playing the, yeah, he's playing the game. You know, I don't agree with everything he says, but you know, I take my oh, heart definitely off. Not. I take my heart off to him on what what you know what he's what he's doing. Um yeah, I was, I'm, going to ask, I'm going to ask a question, right? And you can decline the comment on it if you want. <laughs> you, because you talked about as long as they're not doing anything illegal. Um, and this has come up in personal conversations I've had about Gordon Ryan. Um, I'm not, oh, maybe I will pass an opinion. He's probably not going to listen to the show yet until it becomes really big. Um, but let's talk about, you know, um, uh, you know, um, performance enhancing drugs, right, in the sport. Um, and I'm not, I'm not singling out Gordon Ryan, um, even though he comes under some flack from, you know, a couple of people. But in general... Being giant and huge and putting out a DVD about how to get swole as a grappler where he went from a smaller guy to a giant guy in like seven months. I, I'm going to give him credit on this, right? I'm going to get... Well, if it's, I don't know the time frame. I didn't think it was seven months. I thought it was less, more time than that. It might have it might have been longer. I'm just I'm just talking that yeah he's he's one of the guys that's at the forefront of that of that kind of debate. Like is he using steroids? Is not using steroids? Jiu-jitsu doesn't test. 
Well, they do. The IBJJF tests very limited in, in very small doses. Very IBJJF tests if you win the Black Belt World Championships. Is that the only time they do it? I'm fairly certain. That's all. I could be completely wrong about this, but I know that whenever guys get, I think, what is it, uh, Gaudio got popped and Meow got popped. Mm-hmm. And in recent times, those are the only times anyone's gotten popped that, that I can recall. I could, I could be completely wrong about this, but my understanding is that's the only time that they test. I'm going to, going back to Gordon Ryan, right? And I'm, it, I'm singling him out just because we started talking about him and then it popped into my head. I'm going to back him up a little bit because I was a very slim teenager up until I was about 17 or 18. And I must have weighed 10 and a half stone whatever that, I don't know what that is in pounds. It's about 150, 160 pounds. It's yeah, about small. 155. Yeah, roughly right. But I was like six, six, one, six, two. Okay. But by the time I was, you know, 20, so three years later, a longer period, I was, you know, maybe an inch taller, but was 230 pounds just from training and eating properly. So it is, I'm going to, you know, give him some credit that it's not, I think people can jump on the bandwagon when they, oh, he's big, he's big and he's muscly. Um, Look, on, our, on our show, we openly support it. If you're, you're in a sport that doesn't test, you're in a combat sport where I want to see the biggest, strongest, fastest, most recovered guy compete against the other biggest, strongest, fastest, most in shape, productive guy available. And if you want to recover faster with performance enhancing drugs, by all means, like it's you're only hurting yourself if you're hurting yourself. You're giving yourself an opportunity to recover. I want to see these guys compete more than four times a year, personally. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I might be specifically outspoken on this. Like, Gordon Ryan works out incredibly hard. Look at his Instagram. Look at his posts. Look at what he does. Like, he gave an interview with uh, BJJ Fanatics uh, probably a couple of weeks ago, and he talks about his training, training regimen. Like, that guy puts in a huge amount of work. All those big guys do. What was he? What? What? what give, give us a, a quick breakdown of what you said his training regiment was. Uh, crazy. Basically, wakes up, trains, goes to the gym, sleeps on the mat, trains, and then does MMA and trains like that. Like literally sleeping on the mats and like training all day, every day. And he yeah. he just I, I don't have specifics because I just remember like that was my takeaway from the interview was like man he trains a lot and you hear all of the top guys. Not like the fringe top guys, but the top guys, they train six, seven days a week hard. That is a universal thing that you see in all of the top guys. And there's a lot of people that, like, that push back on that. Well, you shouldn't train that much. Then all of the top guys train like that. And so I think Jeff Glover talked about it years and years ago. He's like, I'm not taking them to get big because I'm taking them to do a cover. Because if you push your body that hard, you're, you do not have the proper recovery time. Yeah, there is. Um... Yeah, you know, I, I could be wrong, but if you look at all of the research, all of the you know um, anecdotal stuff from other sports, if you continue to push yourself that hard that often without the rest, there are exceptions. There's always exceptions, but as a general rule of thumb, you've got to be you've got to be taking something to be able to maintain that level that level of intensity. Volume is one thing if you're at a very low intensity. Right, but if it's if it's high volume, no, we're not talking high volume. You're talking extreme volume, world champion volume. Yeah, and all, coupled with intensity, it's a road to disaster for the vast majority of people. Right, and certain guys can definitely do it, you know, un unassisted. But it's 
and we talk again, our kind of motto on the show is jujitsu, no politics. If you're using stuff, okay. if you're not using stuff, I don't, I don't really care. If it's banned in the, in the organization you're competing in and they're testing for it, you shouldn't do it. And you, and you eat your ban and you deal with that. If it's not banned and it's not prohibited and there's nothing against it, then, then it's not banned, it's not prohibited, there's nothing against it. Do you think people, you know? just, do you think people just happily ignore that most... I'm not going to make an accusation that most top-level competitors are, but when you look at the history of fight sports in general, the history of sports in general, the fact that there have been people caught taking performance enhancing drugs, we've got to assume that at least there's a good percentage of top-level athletes doing performance enhancing drugs. In, in every sport. Yeah, I mean, in every sport. Fighting, like I talked about earlier, you're fighting for percentages. Yeah. Like, the tiny little advantages you can get. And if all of a sudden I can take something and get a four and a half percent advantage, or I can recover that much better than put in another, you know, 400 reps the, that week because I can recover better. My body's not broken down and I can put the extra muscle memory into it. That's going to give me the percentage points. And that's going to make me better. So to expect top level athletes that have, again, like we said, had that narrow focus and have pushed other things in their life to the side. If you put something in front of them and go, okay, this will make you 3% better. It's a big and you're able, to, you're able to train more. You'd be, you would kind of be naive to think that that person wouldn't take that because that's the mentality that gets that high level in the first place. There was something years and years ago that was, they asked a bunch of Olympic athletes, um, you can win a gold medal, but you'll die in 10 years. And I want to say it was almost universal that they all took it. Really? Like, okay. Yeah, because that's the level when you get to the upper echelons and the highest levels of the sport, the people that are successful in those environments are the ones that are all the chips in. There's, there's, not, there's not a fallback plan. There's not an opportunity. There's, this is what they do, and they're fighting for the smallest, tiniest advantage that they can get. And so I don't, I'm not going to – I'm not going to – in any way, like push back about and get on some moral high ground about something that I don't understand at a level I've never competed at. And so we try to cover the sport and talk about it. And if it's a thing that occurs, it, it most likely occurs. And it most mm -hmm. likely occurs pretty rampantly in the sport. And plenty of people with far more evidence and far bigger camps have talked about it occurring at the high levels. I mean, you could look at some guys and they have the features of people that use performance enhancing drugs. I don't have any problem with it pers personally. And I may be completely you know, outspoken and this may not age well in 10 years. <laughs> but, but right now in 2019, look at the sport it, and it makes a lot of sense. It does. It does. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't know where I stand on it morally, whether I think it's, it's right or wrong. Um, I don't think, I think I do care slightly um, but I don't care that I'm going to vilify someone if, if they do it, you know? Um, right. I, think I, I think I care about it more from a personal perspective because I'm very much about, you know, clean eating, natural living, getting the most out of your physical potential and doing it, you know, because it's almost a competition with yourself to see how much you can get out of what you've, right. been, what you've been given, right? Um, but do you think that people are naive to, to the fact that this goes on or we, oh, we assume that this stuff goes on or at least there's some evidence for it? Or do you think people just don't care? I, I, think, I, I, think, I don't think any human should be, be naive. 
We've seen it happen in every other high-level sport for the past 20 years. The baseball scandals, the football stuff, the pick-your-sport. Pick they've had cycling. They've had their steroid scandal. And it's, it's pretty much universal across all sports to test. Guys yeah. get caught. Women get caught using performance-enhancing drugs. And so you'd be naive. To, and people in jiu-jitsu have gotten caught. You'd be kind of naive to not expect them to be, it, to be a factor in occurring at the highest levels of the sport because it occurs at the high levels of all sports. Mm. And so and there's, and is there a fix for it? Maybe, maybe not. Is it more testing? I mean, the UFC has one of the highest, most stringent levels of testing in any sport, and they still catch guys frequently. Yep. They caught a guy this week. It, I, don't really, I don't really have – it's not my line to have an opinion on these sort of things because, for me, it doesn't really affect the coverage that we provide of the sport of professional jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Other than the fact that, selfishly, guys that are on those drugs – can compete more and probably have more stellar and outstanding performances that I get to watch and I get to commentate on. So was it in pride that they encouraged people to act, act actively? They didn't encourage it. Okay. But, <laughs> no, they did, they did encourage it. But in the contract, it says we do not test for steroids. They tested <laughs> for a bunch of other, I think Ensign Inouye was on Rogan probably six years ago and brought his pride contract to the show and showed Rogan where it said, we do not test for steroids. And pride had some amazing fights. Yeah. The freakest of the freak show fights that are still on MMA highlight reels to the end of time. Don't yeah. act like that wasn't amazing. You've seen KSW or other promotions that don't test. You get some amazing fights with some fighters that have unreal, unhuman physiques. And I'll watch it. So it's like, yeah. we're watching an entertainment sport. Again, it's an amateur sport that we participate in, and it's why we're interested in watching it, but I, I, I'm watching entertainment. I want to see guys hit baseballs far. Yeah. I want to see guys like they can go three rounds with a full gas tank. I, wanna, I like it produces better action, and it's more exciting. So again, I don't compete at that high level, so I don't really have a dog in that fight from a personal perspective, but as a fan and it's someone that watches – between three and 15 hours of grappling a weekend and then talks about it for two to four hours a week, you get better fights. You get more exciting activity. And so selfishly, it happens. Yeah. It's, it's funny how... I, 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 again, I don't know where I morally sit on if people, you know, where, whether it's right or wrong and people do it. And like you said, right, I'm not in that environment, so I don't really have... You know, I can't really you know pass judgment on something that I don't have direct experience with trying to compete in that that um in 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 that arena. But what gets interesting for me is I, I particularly Lance Armstrong. It was interesting where I my wife bought me his book. It's not about the bike, and literally the day after she bought me the book. It was all announced. He publicly came out and said, yeah, I, you know, I did, right. I, I took PEDs. I still read the book and I still think he's one of the greatest cyclists of all time, if not yeah. the greatest cyclist. But then he gets so vilified by so many people. Um, but then yet, we're, you know, we can quite you know, easily just turn a blind eye for what we statistically across the majority of sports and there's evidence for people that do get caught cheating, we kind of happily ignore the elephant in the room for many sports. Right. 
I, you got to acknowledge it. And unless you have a good fix for it, you've got to, in a way, accept a little bit of it. Because if you're not going to test, you're not going to test stringently, you're not going to make it the forefront of the items that you're concerned about. It's also, it's jujitsu. Like the, 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 the consequences of yes. someone like being 2% better aren't that grave. He taps a guy. He wins a bout that was most likely a skill bout for the most mm -hmm. of it. But he was able, because honestly, guys aren't taking steroids <laughs> to get bigger and like for competition. They're taking it so they can train at an insane level for a camp. That's why guys are taking stuff. Yeah. And like, yeah. and I want to see what that insane level of performance and preparation shows up on the mat. There's plenty of guys that are, that are freak athletes that mentally can't make the switch. Yeah. They get into a bad spot and quit or like break or just don't have the mental fortitude to continue to fight through those situations. It, it's, it's a, it's definitely a complex issue, but, um, I, I I'm all for it, man. <laughs> And there's, there's Gene Dorbin, right? With That's nifty. That's cool science. Um, as a former scientist guy yeah, yeah. Uh, and kind of a technically a current scientist guy, that is super nifty. That was just starting to come out when I was sort of leaving laboratory sciences. And um, I am absolutely fascinated for what is going to occur in the future with that. That's oh, crazy. It, I, I'm, I'm in this, I have this weird feeling in my stomach right now where it's this uh, kind of a mixed emotion of, uh, would I would I watch it? Absolutely, right. I, I'd watch the video that would, is going to get 100 million views on YouTube with these freak athletes, right? Someone running a sub nine seconds, 100, 100 meters or whatever. I'm just making that up. But there's this, I have this weird feeling in my stomach that I need to process where I'm like, oh, I, it would be amazing to see, but is it, does it quite sit right with me in terms of the nature of, you know, mano, mano a mano type, type competition? I don't know. I don't know. I don't really, I, and again, I don't really ever think about like, does it sit right with me on like a perspective? Like, am I enjoying it as a viewer? And did both people agree to the contest? If that's the case, go for it. Yeah. Like if you want to get in a sword fight and you agree, like do it. Like, I'm just, I'm not, I know I'm not trying to ever be the moral bastion of like what I believe is wrong or right. Like if both people agree to the contest and both people are in like a right frame of mind, Go for it. If you want to be like gorilla jeans and you want to pump them into your neck and you want to fight <laughs> another guy, like, and he, he knows and he agrees to it, do it. it. It just, it's not my, it's not really my place in which to have that argument and to have that like moral stance because I'm not the athlete competing against those guys. You're there, to, you're there to comment on what you see. Yeah. And I'm there to enjoy. Yeah. And if that guy can put on an outstanding, literally superhuman performance, I'm probably going to enjoy it more. Mm. And so it's a, so that's why it's like, I'm not really the best person to ask about something like that because I benefit from watching that amazing freak show matchup. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's so it's like, I have, I, I, I have a dog in the fight from an entertainment perspective on my end. So it's, I'm, so I'm, I don't, this is kind of comes back to the beginning piece where it's like, I don't really have the best framework to make an argument for it because I am watching it as a fan and as a viewer for an entertainment. Yeah. Yeah.
but at least you're open about it. At least you're open about the fucks. I think a lot of people will not will not be open about. It. They'll go, ah, oh, yeah, you know, it's kind of cheating. It's kind of this. It's kind of that. But will they watch it? Absolutely, they'll watch it. Right. And and I just again, jujitsu, no politics. It's it's a it's a feeling. If they want to sanction the bout, they want to have it. And if it's banned on the rules and the guy gets caught, then he's banned. And it, you know, we can't see him compete for a little bit. If it's not banned and he's doing it, okay, he's doing it. it it's again, it's a, it's a moral argument that I'm just not, I don't, I don't have a huge, I don't have a dog in that fight. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, 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 it's, for me, it's a fascinating discussion. Anytime I get onto it with any people, I do, I do love talking about that. Yeah. I um, love the, the, the intro. The, the question was like, you don't have to talk about it. <laughs> just, in, just in case. Yeah. No, it's, it, it's, it just makes me laugh. Cause it, it's a, it's a very funny topic for a lot of people because we all do kind of agree it occurs but some people like we don't want to we don't want to talk about it. it is definitely the elephant in the room to a lot of people on the show we openly talk about it because we cover professional jiu-jitsu we cover the sport we talk about news when someone gets popped in jiu-jitsu we got to talk about it the reason i was hesitating bringing it up is not because i don't mind talking about the subject it was more that i thought about it as we were talking about gordon ryan i've got no evidence to suggest whatsoever that he's doing stuff right no one's no. told me anything right so i'm not i'm not pinning it on him so that's why i was hesitating i don't want to no. come across as i'm trying to pin it on him when there's nothing to suggest that he does it no i mean i'm not trying to pin it on anyone you know unless you've popped then it's like and eh, maybe you did it because the test showed <laughs> you probably did it like it's not it's not my place i also it's not my place one and i don't care two mm. like if if you really want to stop it then start testing for it if you don't then just sit back and enjoy man just watch, average, watch 15 events a weekend like we do and enjoy the sport of jiu-jitsu. I need to get a PED expert on, I think, at some point. It'd be interesting. If you Just know go anyone. To, go to, do I know anyone? Well, as a matter of fact. <laughs> because you're a scientist. Because you I would go to the scientist. There you go. That's I have a why. degree in sciences and I do science stuff, but like calling me a scientist is a, a little, little far-fetched. <laughs> um, yeah, get a, a PED expert. Just go to your local, like, bodybuilding gym and talk to the guy that looks like he's on something because he's about <laughs> 350 and has more muscles than thor that's your guy that's your ped expert that bro scientist has a degree in performance enhancing drugs yeah maybe we'll see like yeah that, that could be one way to do it i train at home i do my training at home so i'm the only i'm the only person with bro science <laughs> in my gym um but I was going to ask you, um, changing uh, t topics slightly. So getting people to watch grappling in general is tough. Even people that love to grapple don't always love to watch grappling. Yet there are people that have never played basketball in their life. And that's what I mean. I'm, I'm one of them. And I'll watch basketball several times a week. Um, so how do you find the engagement in terms of getting people to listen to you talking about watching grappling? So I think for a big, so this is a pretty large question with, a, I think a couple of different yeah. parts to it. So first of all, uh, with what we do, it's knowing your audience. So I have to, I'm looking at as a whole, the sport of jujitsu, people that practice jujitsu. Then I'm taking a smaller population of that, which is people that are interested in professional jujitsu. And then I'm taking a smaller section of that, which is people that want to listen to analysis of professional jujitsu. And then I'm taking a section of that, which is people that are interested in an audio podcast breaking down the week's professional events. 
And so it's like, I understand my audience fairly well. And it's like, there are plenty of people that watch grappling that really enjoy grappling, but don't want to listen to a, a show or a recap on a weekly basis. It's just not the thing. They're not into podcasts. They're not into that sort of format for analysis. So I'm looking at my target audience and then the overall question is how do you get people into it? And so that's why I identify those people and I, and I go after those people and let them know that, hey, we are a show that exists and we cover professional jiu-jitsu. And there's plenty of people that tune into our show on a weekly basis, no matter what we're covering. And there's plenty of people that tune in when we're covering stuff like Kasai or Quintet or a fight to win in their area where they knew guys on the card and they know we're going to talk about it. Do you put your podcast out live? Or is it recorded? Oh, no. Oh, no. We edit. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we, we do some editing. Uh, if, you, if you've ever met Josh Weinstock, or honestly, me, um, we've definitely cut sections out of the podcast before because uh, we, go, we go long or the conversation meanders. Um, yeah. But no, we just we, we do segments. So we do each individual section of the breakdown that we do as a different segment. So we do our news segment, and that may roll into the first event we break down. But a lot of times we'll do news, and then we'll take a minute. We'll get all of our notes and all of our stuff together. I'll talk with the co-host for that week of, okay, I want to talk about this match, this match, this match. No, I want to talk about this match, this match, this match. Um, oh, this happened. You want to talk about that? No, let's not talk about that. Or let's talk about that. Or, oh, commentary was really good this week. Or, man, commentary was really bad this week. Let's just not bring it up. Or commentary was bad. And eh, let's bring it up a little bit. And so we have small discussions beforehand about like what we want the next segment to sound like. Mm. Get all of our notes together. If we want to like rewatch any videos before we break it down, like I had that happen. Was it a footlock? Did he turn over for the knee bar or did he like roll over? It's like, okay, we'll do that. Then we record the next segment of our show, go through it typically, and then we stop and then we put the notes up for the next segment, do a really quick, like even as long as it's like 10 seconds of like, okay, talk about this, this, yep, that works. And then we move on to the next segment and we cover as many events as we're going to cover that week. Then we pause, we go into the preview section of the show, pull up all the events we intend to preview for that week and then do the same thing as far as the previews go and then mm -hmm. kind of do a little small outro depending on um what else is going on so our yeah. show is it, it's more cut up it's not it's not necessarily a long-form conversation i would like to get it there eventually but with right now with the resources we have for the show it's just much easier to, to pause it and to have a quick discussion about what we want to talk about sometimes um if like an event isn't up like we'll talk mm -hmm. okay we know the results for the event but do we want to like the, the video's not up okay we're not going to cover it okay move on like it's discussions like those that i don't want to include in the podcast how so those do you, cut out. Yeah. How do, you, how do you let people know? How do you find those people and let, let people know that, hey, guys, we're here? You just become a part of the community, honestly. Yeah. Um, a lot of it's reaching out to competitors. Like, hey, we covered your match this week. Um, okay. If you want to listen to it, here you go. A lot of it is reaching out to promoters. A lot of it is just like on the social media. We get on sites like Reddit. We get on sites like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and just basically put out and we interact with the with the community that watches grappling, people that comment on stuff will comment as well. Um, and basically become a member of the community that you're trying to be a part of because we are big fans of professional grappling and you find people that are interested in professional grappling in the comment sections of threads and of mm -hmm. photos and of Instagram and on Twitter. And by interacting and talking with those people, you, you integrate and you, know, you talk to them. And you, they, be, they become fans of your show. You become fans of their work. There's plenty of guys that we've had conversations with on the show, or sorry, conversations with and then talked about on the show 
that I'm huge fans of now because they were super pleasant, super good to work with. I've watched them compete a couple times now and I'm a really big fan of their style or what they do. Mm-hmm. Or they put on really good performances, even if they lost. They put on really good performances that were like, oh, this is a guy that I want to cover. Or this is a guy, you know, may not even be an elite guy, but he's an exciting guy to watch. Man, he's a guy I'm going to continue to cover. I'm going to watch out for his stuff so that we can make sure that I'm not going to miss one of his matches because he's exciting or she's exciting. And so that's really how, like, how we approach it is just become a part of the community that, you, that you're interested in talking to. Mm -hmm. like we get feedback from people like we had a feedback uh, last week like hey um would you guys mind previewing quintet in a little more depth than you usually preview events for because i'm less familiar with a lot of the grapplers on that because it's primarily a japanese event and we went yeah it's a good idea and so emil got together a giant list and with all the credentials of everyone on that card and we broke it down and it, it resulted in a much better segment based on some user feedback that we had got that someone had seen that we covered events. They listened to our show and they went, oh yeah, I would like to hear you guys talk in more depth about this. Mm. And so it's, that's really how we approach it. We want, and there's segments where we have people go, hey, your audio is really quiet this episode. Okay. Or like, man, you guys kind of are like, you, you curse a lot in this segment. It's like, okay. And so, and it's all stuff that we take as feedback. Like, all right, dude, is that something we want to do? Is that something that was intentional? It was, you know, and we just modulate our show based upon a lot of listener feedback for what they're looking for. Yeah. And become well, a, again, become a part of that community. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you ever see it grow into maybe you do live shows or either that, or, you know, you, you do live coverage at the show of some of these yeah. events. We've done commentary before for events. Like events okay. have approached us for commentary. Hey, like we like your show. Would you like to commentate our event? Because we're, we're somewhat critical of commentary now and again. Um, we, we, we try to be nice on the show because there's enough negative stuff going on constantly in any community that you're in. We try to highlight the positive aspects. If a match is really, really bad, like we're probably not going to cover it on the show because we have at any given week, you know, 60 or 100 matches that we could choose to cover we don't have time to cover all of them so if you have a really bad match on a card we're just gonna we're just gonna not gonna cover it you don't i don't need to belabor like man this is a terrible match and spend three minutes talking about something that i didn't enjoy versus talking about five minutes on like man i love this match this was great you mm -hmm. saw these dynamic transitions and this really good heel hook entry here that was different for these reasons i'd much rather talk about that than belabor negative points about it yeah, I have no idea what the root of this question was. Uh, I can't remember either. <laughs> it was to do with, uh, you know, I'm just interested as someone who's, you know, growing a, a podcast, but a, a specific jujitsu podcast. And you look at, you know, you, I listen to Tim Ferriss, I listen to Joe Rogan, I listen to a bunch of other stuff. And, you know, they have hundreds of thousands, millions of downloads, right. sometimes per episode. And, you know, I'm, don't, don't get me wrong, right? I, I've, I'm, incredibly you know fortunate and grateful for the audience that i've grown i get some great feedback from people and i love every single person that even listens to one minute of my show but you know for me it's you know the more the more people you can reach the more people that you can help and i get you know i get a lot of feedback of you know i love this episode or i love this post you put out and you go great what do, okay what more do you want to hear right. Because I mean, that's a big reason I approached you at the beginning was like, I was a fan of your show and I wanted to talk to you about jujitsu and jujitsu podcasts and like how the space and what you'd found success with in the space. And I wanted to have kind of a conversation with you about kind of this very topic. And so I approached you because I was a fan of your show. There's mm -hmm. a lot of jujitsu podcasts. Not all of them are great. 
And so I thought you had a good show and I was like, oh, you know, I, I would like to Thank talk. Thank you. Yeah. That, but that's, that's, that's why I approached you initially was like, I want to talk to you about like, about jujitsu podcast, what you found success with, what you found didn't work well. And like, you know, mm. what, like I've, I've grown my audience and give you the information because, um, BJ Power Hour said there's enough sand in the sandbox for everyone. It's like, yeah. Like, jiu-jitsu is a pretty big sport and there's enough room for all of us as podcasters to to work together and talk about um completely talk about how we do this because something that you may have good success with i may be able to have success with as well or something i may be having success with i can give you as well that's kind of how jiu-jitsu works as a whole as a community is like i i show the guys that i train with my best stuff so that they can start to stop it so that when i run into a guy at a competition that's never seen my best stuff yeah he starts to kind of defend it. The guys or the women at my gym are way ahead of that and I can be successful in that. And that's sort of the same thing with podcasting in my eyes is that we all grow together and we all build up together. And so yeah. I want to share my success with you so that you can share your success with me and, yeah. and work in, in combination together to do, you know, ultimately mm. produce good content for people that are interested in hearing the content. The reality is I listen to multiple podcasts. Everyone can listen to multiple podcasts. There's no reason why you can't listen to multiple jujitsu podcasts. Um, even if it's on, you know, both on the same, on the same topic, right? And I see it with some of the Instagram stuff that I do where there are people that are direct competitors to me, I suppose. But when you look at the size of the audience, does it mean if they follow their stuff, they're never going to follow my stuff? No, people are going to follow both, right? If I put out a program for sale or a product for sale, then they might do that too. It may be a competing product. Quite often, are you only ever going to buy one leg lock DVD? No, you're probably, probably not. not. If, you, if you like lead, leg locks, you're probably yeah. going to buy them all. So it just, it all, it all helps. What have I had success with with this podcast? I think, I think trying to enjoy it myself as much as I possibly can, I think comes across in the shows. The first couple of shows, if I listen back to them, were a little bit, a little bit mundane. I didn't have the right energy in my voice and I was just talking on my own because I wanted to just pre-record some stuff before I get it out. I think consistently publishing, which is obviously something that you do as well, is, is a big thing. And having a, a fairly consistent theme on the most part of, okay, I want to go to this show for this kind of information. Cause I know that if I want to listen to a certain kind of podcast or a certain kind of person, I'll go to a certain kind of podcast, but I throw some variation in there. So it's not always the same topics all, or maybe it's similar topics, but done in a slightly different angle um, and bringing in different experts. It all falls into one umbrella but there's enough variation, I think, to keep people interested. Um, and honestly, um, a lot of it is, and this may sound disrespectful to my listeners, and I hope it doesn't, is not caring too much about whether everybody's going to like it, but putting out what I think is valuable, putting out what I believe in, that I think is going to be interesting information. And it's not going to hit all of the audience all at the, all at the same time. But if I'm if I worry too much about it being perfect and too polished, then uh, I think people like the, at least the impression I get. If you're listening now, you can tell me whether I'm talking shit or not. Um, but but, you're but for, like you're looking to produce good content and stuff that you enjoy, like which is why we cover plenty of smaller organizations that our audience might not be as interested in, but myself and the co-hosts on the show are interested in that. We want to talk about it. We're mm -hmm. going to cover you know, if you are not a big fan of that promotion or that content, 
you can, it's easy to skip forward. It's easy to listen to another episode. It's, 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 I want to put stuff out that I'm interested in talking about. And on the other side of that, I'm not going to talk about stuff that I'm not really interested in talking about because I think that produces a higher quality of show and like any show and like any podcast and any TV show, there's episodes I love and there's episodes I don't love. Like you listen to some of our major coverage episodes for big events. We are super tired because we've watched 27 hours of jujitsu in a 48 hour period. And it, and it's tired. And we try to level at the beginning of the show. Like, Hey, we're tired this week because X, Y, and Z and the energy on that show is going to be different. But much like you, we talk about what we're interested in. And I don't think it's disrespectful to the audience because we're all people here and can understand that what you like and what interests you is not necessarily what interests me. Like I like your show. I would not want to do a, a strength and conditioning and, and a, a show in the same vein that you do. It just doesn't, it, from my perspective as a host, I wouldn't be interested in doing that. But lucky enough, you do that. And yeah. if there's somebody who's interested in that, they can look at your show for that. In the same way that you don't do significant event coverage for professional jiu-jitsu, but if someone's interested in that, we do that. So it's, yeah. it's in talking about what you're interested in, I think, is more genuine to your viewers and your listeners than just than talking about a bunch of stuff that you're not interested in to try to keep, you know, keep it to a tight and narrow theme. I think after a while, that just becomes uninteresting because you're uninterested in it. Mm. I think I don't really, I'm interested in growing the podcast and reaching more people, but it's not my focus. And I think that's another thing that helps me a lot is that, look, if I can put a show out and it helps one person, then I'm, I'm happy, right? I don't need to reach tens of thousands of people and completely transform people's lives with the advice or the people, the guests that I, that I bring on with the, with the information. And I think it's, if you focus more on something that's just, the, the genuine core content and the genuine wanting to provide value and help people with what or help or entertain people, whatever it is the case may be. Um, then the rest of it is, I think uh, it, it doesn't always come naturally, right? I've done other projects in the past that, you know, nobody knew about, they just failed, they failed in their flop, but I don't know. It's it, <clears throat> for me, it was a slow burner. I think having guests on is a, is a, is a big thing um, for, because you, you know, I, I'm, I know a lot of stuff, a lot of things about a lot of stuff, but I, there's only a couple, well, maybe some subjects, but I don't know, you know, really performance enhancing drugs. Let's talk about that. I'm not really deep on the expert scientific knowledge. So I want to bring a science scientist on or right. someone who is an expert, right? To dive into that kind of stuff. So I think you can get, you can, you can get an incredible amount of value from people. I've had people who are, you know, very well published authors on the show. Um, and with, you know, um, Patrick um, Marquion, who's a breathing expert, I think was show number eight. Um, and I was amazed that he even offered to come on the show, right? Because I've seen all the stuff that he does, all the books that he publishes, but he came on. And the depth of knowledge that you get just in that show is incredible, right? You, you get it for free. You haven't, don't need to buy his book. Um, it's broken down. It's right from him. It's the most latest information that he has. And that's you know, you can, you can bring people an incredible amount of knowledge and, and value in a short period of time um, by bringing guests on. And then, you know, that guest goes on to promote it to their audience and that really right. helps to grow the show and those kind of things as well. I think that's interesting. We'd actually, we don't do any guests on our show because for the first year plus, probably to about a month and a half ago, um, I had no ability to record remotely. 
Okay. Remote recording. So we just, we just couldn't, it was not a possibility on our show to do that. And we'd experimented with a couple of times to minimal success, but finally got everything together so we can finally do that. So it's something that we're looking at doing in the future, but at the end of the day, we don't really want to be an interview show too, too much, but we definitely think that that can add, add value to our audience in, okay, a guy is coming up on a big event or just had a big performance. I want him to talk about his match. Yes. Because I feel like he would be able to give me better insight. Or this is a high-level black belt beyond the knowledge, beyond the level of my analysis and skill. Let's have him talk about what he was doing or what he was seeing in this match because he's going to be able to provide better insight to our listeners than I would be able to. So I think that's a, a huge thing with guests. And that's why I like shows that bring mm. guests on because they, the, it, the host recognizes that, hey, I can bring someone who is more knowledgeable in this area than myself. And that will lead to better content and better information for my audience. And it's, it's having that respect for your audience. I'm trying to continue to bring them good content that you're interested in that you think they will be interested in. And you could, do, with those kind of people, you could do that with a quick 10-minute interview as well. Right. And that's what we're looking at doing, doing very short, even a couple-minute interviews where they talk about it. But I don't really want to get into a lot of the guys' life stories because there's better jujitsu podcasts mm. that do that, that are interview shows like uh, Grappling Central is a fantastic interview show that has like, 600 episodes or something. Wow. Something like that. And they've interviewed everyone multiple times better than I could do it. And that's not really the focus of our show. So I'll let them produce that content. It's great. Uh, Grappling Union out of Chicago interviews a lot of local area Chicago and Midwest guys. It's a great show. I love that show. I listen to it every week. And, but they do something different than what we do. And that's what they're interested in doing versus this is what you're interested in doing. This is what I'm interested in doing. And there's, mm. and there's space for all of us as, as jujitsu podcasters to, to flourish. Yeah. And what I bring, I, I like to get into the story of a person. I like people to get to know the person, but I could look at the interview with uh, Ross Nichols, for example, um, or I, I interviewed a guy called Pete O'Neill from, from Atos. Yep. And I, you know, I, I, I want to get with Pete. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. He was, he's, he's a character, man. I still need to get down there and train, train with him and, and spend time with him face to face. But, um, you know, uh, it, uh, we can talk about his life story and stuff, which is interesting. We do touch on it a little bit, but I want to know what's it really like to train at Atos? What's the physical demands of a sport like? You and know, that's what I enjoyed that show for the most because that gave, it gave us the best insight for our show about information that we care about. I was like, oh, that's why it was so cool that you interviewed him. I was like, hey, this is what it's like actually being at Atos in this environment and training at that level and how he had modulated and trained his, changed his training from training every single day all the time to stepping it back a little bit, dealing with the injury, getting off the injury. And the, the whole story of how he progressed and what his experience was at that high-level camp was hugely insightful to, to me personally, and I enjoyed it a lot. And people can take that and apply it. They can apply it to their own training. Right. The person I really need to speak to is Josh Hinger. I know Josh, um, but I, I, I've just... I, I need to get in touch with him and try to make it happen. Um, That'd be a cool show. Like, he's a really interesting guy. He's on, he does commentary occasionally for... Um, I think he did hands commentary and then he's done commentary for acbjj and every time you hear him talk like man he is insightful he is well spoken he is mm -hmm. one of our favorite commentators just because of how of the actually it was adcc he commentated no was it i i get all the atos guys on commentary mixed up because him and keenan are both outstanding commentators okay and it was keenan commentating adcc and it was hanger commentating um acbjj and pans Great commentators, 
great speakers, has huge insight at that high level that is beyond what I understand. So it's great to hear him. Yeah, and what I'm not, not, I'm not surprised hearing you say that about Josh. Um, Keenan, I've never spoke to Keenan, right? So I couldn't comment. But Josh, every time I've spoken to him, um, you know, mostly we'll get into a 10, 15 minute conversation just and it just flows off the bat. He's a super smart guy. Really, really smart oh, yeah. guy, right? And had, um, you know, well-educated, had a, you know, a good career going before he went to, to full-time, um, from what I understand. But uh, what's really interesting to me about Josh is he's, he's, I mean, you know, he's a great guy, right? He's an incredible competitor. I, I trained with him once and he absolutely kicked my ass. <laughs> but he's, I think we're the same age. I'm 36. I think he may be 37, but we're about the same age. He's and, right around. I, well, I thought he was... I thought he was 36, but so I maybe, could be wrong. Maybe we're the same age. Maybe we're the same age. Um, and, you know, if I, I, if I think back into my jiu-jitsu career, I started when I was 24, 25. And I think I did. Maybe everyone doesn't do this. But I started with the dreams. Oh, yeah, one day I want to be, you know, jiu-jitsu world champion. Um, but then you get to a certain point where you go, oh, you know, maybe it's not for me. And, uh, you know, if you want to be a world champion – go listen to a world champion, right? I'm not a world champion. Um, you know, I specialize in, in something slightly different. But looking, looking at someone like Josh, who just never gave up on that and kept going and then won his first world title at 34 and then went on to win two consecutive world titles after that as well, at that age is... And then won trials. Let's not forget he won trials and I'm super excited to see him in ADCC. Yes, yes. So it, it, it's incredible, right? So I, I think we can... So many people can learn so much from how he has approached training. I think, you know, how he's had to look after his body. It's, it, it gets harder. The older Because he's, he not, he's not 20. He's not 20. He's not a 22-year-old world champion. He's a 35, 36, 37-year-old world champion. It's not the same thing. And so they, I think it'd be really cool to have his insight on basically how, because he's definitely doing something different than the guys that are 19, 20, 22 are having to do. And yeah. so to get insight in that, I think would be very, very interesting. And like, I, now I want you to have him on the show. I, I, want to, I, I want to hear that interview. I do. I just need to get, I, I need to, like, I, like I, I've, I've spoken to Josh quite a few times. I'm not, he's not a buddy that I'm going to pick up the phone and say, hey, but do you want to go for a beer? So I just, I keep putting off getting in touch with him. So I need to do it. I need to just bite the bullet and do it. Every interaction I've ever had with him has been super pleasant. Oh yeah. It's, it's been great. We, uh, we spoke to him a little bit after ADCC and um, again, just, outstandingly pleasant guy like but again that's everyone in jiu-jitsu we've we've come across we and since we've been doing this show we haven't run into anyone that's been unpleasant and it's just almost like strange because all the places we've traveled and trained all the competitors we've talked to all the promoters we've talked to commentators everyone's super nice and super pleasant it's it's almost strange there's a few people out there I've, I, haven't, I've, I haven't run into him yet, but again, I come at, coming from the coverage side, so they may yeah. have a vested interest to not be a dick to me. To be reading. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. So I may be slightly biased in that respect, but it's like, oh, the grappling rewind guy? All right, maybe I'll, like, I'll, I'll talk to him. We can, yeah, no, yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, Jiu-Jitsu has a, a relatively strong inbuilt dickhead filter, is what yeah. I like to think. In, in a bit, because if, if you can't hack it, yeah, those first two years are rough. If you're if you're that guy, if you're at a at a gym that is going to hold you to a standard, most guys will put you through the ringer. If you're uh, if you're a meathead or you're not a pleasant guy to be around. Yeah, yeah, those people tend to fall out of it. Um, yeah. I I've got about five ten minutes before I need to wrap up. Um, 
what what else did what else did you want to touch upon before we you know we've covered a lot of good ground a lot of really good ground anything else you wanted to touch on before we closed up not a ton. I just really appreciate you having me on the show. I mean, you've kind of answered all the questions. I was really looking for initially, like what you think you, what do you think has been the biggest asset for you in growing your show and audience? Cause I talked about really ours was like being part of the community and talking to competitors, talking to promoters and talking to people in the threads of these events. That's been the biggest thing for us. But what's really, do you think if you're willing to share been the Absolutely. biggest thing been the biggest thing for you that's assisted you in increasing your viewership and audience on your show? Well, I'd, before I launched the podcast, I'd already built up an audience through BJJStrength.com. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm built up, you know, my mailing list that I, you know, you know send out newsletters to, et cetera, and built up a, a decent following on Instagram before that time. Um, and then there's, what I've noticed with more my YouTube videos, and they, they all tend to bleed into one, right? Someone picks you up on YouTube, they go across to your other channels. What really helped me on YouTube is when other media outlets picked up my videos. And the one that, that really um, helped me was a few people from, from Jiu-Jitsu Times. And, you know, suddenly I just, oh, my, one of my videos is on Jiu-Jitsu Times. Why have I suddenly got 10,000 views on this video? Um, so building relationships with those, um, you know, uh, with those people, um, Avery was the one lady that helped me a lot, actually. Um, you put a lot of stuff out, out for me and, you know, hopefully she'll continue to do so, um, with Juju Two Times and some other, and some other, some other outlets as well. That, that first of all happened by chance, but then I kind of got to know the people and just said, look, I've got a really good video. I'm really proud of this. And they, you know, they, they are looking for content themselves, right? And we are all cross pollinates and it helps. It helps a lot. So that I think is, I can't, you know, I should maybe do more on my analytics and tell you exactly that fled through to the <laughs> podcast, but it kind of gradually, it gradually grew over, over time. And, um, I think the other thing that's helped me on Instagram a lot is I'll openly say there's certain marketing programs that I use that goes out and likes other people's posts yeah. because, you know, like followers, I think is, or like Instagram it's called. And I haven't got the time to go on and comment on everyone's stuff. So, you know, but I will engage with people when they engage with me. So I think it, you know, I don't put those annoying comments on there, but it's a polite way of saying, Hey guys, I've got some stuff that you may like. Um, and if people don't like that, then they don't like that. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of playing the game, I suppose, and, and doing what I can do. But what's been surprising for me about the podcast is I've been doing, BJJ Strength has been running now for, I want to say three years, maybe even a little bit longer. But I get the most comments of, oh, yeah, I loved your show, by the way. I really enjoyed listening to your show the other day with the podcast more than anything else. So maybe it's a collection of all of the things, um, you know, coming coming together. But I, I think people are diff, different. People like different forms of media, and I think what's really good about the podcast is you. Know, I love I love it as a form of media because I spend you know a reasonable a reasonable amount of time in the car, going back and forth to training, and you can put it on right. It's always there with you, so it's more. I think you get more of a connection with people when they hear you speak so much, then you just put a post up. You put a post out, you like it, you move on. But a podcast, I think you really build a relationship with people. So there's, you know, it's a collection of things that have, that have helped me grow. I think definitely building relationships with other people, either on a social media channel or with another media outlet. 
that's been really, really big for me. But I think the biggest thing has to be just having, you know, consistency with the content and just having a bit of energy, you know, putting a bit of, you know, a bit of passion and a bit of energy into every episode. And I think that's, I don't know, y'all, it's, you know, pe- people listening, let me know, you know, let me know, give me, give me some feedback. Um, How did you discover the show? Yeah, those, those are always good. It's always nice to know. It's, it's very funny. I look at a lot of analytics. I'm, I'm big on stats and numbers. So I look at a lot of analytics and a lot of analytics are very, very unhelpful uh, to figure out like where people, where your jumping off point is. Cause you have a post that does really, really well. Um, and then you don't see a huge engagement on the show that week. And then you'll again have a smaller show when you cover, you know, less marquee events that'll do really great numbers. And it's just, you know, I, it's funny to see like where those got picked up and sometimes the analytics can catch it and other times it doesn't. And it's always just entertaining to me to hear what other, what other shows uh, have found is the most successful kind of feeder point into their show and how people are discovering your show. Cause that's, you know, that's a big piece of what we do the show is we want people to hear and Honestly, a big piece of why we do the show for us is I want people to watch professional jiu-jitsu. Yeah. And I want there to be more eyes on it. And so I want to cover it on a weekly basis. So if you want to follow professional jiu-jitsu and maybe you don't have six hours a weekend to watch it, you can listen to our show in the car, wherever you listen to podcasts and get refreshed with, okay, this is what's going on right now. And then Oh, maybe I should go back and watch this event this weekend. Or, oh, this event's coming up. I'll definitely get guys together for my gym and we'll watch this event. Like, that's what I want to bring so that a white belt getting into jiu-jitsu that wants to start following the sport can start with our show and follow and know where to be looking so that they can enjoy professional jiu-jitsu if they want to. It's a big contribution to the community as well. And, you know, that when you think of other sports – if you if the NBA games just got aired on TV, but there was no news, no commentary around it outside the game, no hype around the players, no, oh, is LeBron going to play or is he not going to play? Is Steph Curry injured? All of this kind of stuff. Would it be as exciting? Probably not, right? And I think the more, you know, interest and uh, it's a hype, if you want to use the word hype, whether we dis- you disagree with that or not, I think it's a real, it's, it's a contribution to the community in that way and it's going to help. We all... We all, we're all addicted to jiu-jitsu, right? That's pretty much everyone listening to this show, listening to your show. We're all addicted to jiu-jitsu. And when you're addicted to something, it's like you find a new, a new show on Netflix and you're like, you've got to watch this show. You have to watch this show. And you don't shut up about it until the person watches the show. And we want jiu-jitsu to grow in the same way. So it's, um, and, from, and from someone like me who's, who wants to, you know, hopefully later this year, open up my own school. I, I, I coach at the moment and I see it almost as, um, a disservice to my students if I don't know what's going on in the world of jujitsu, um, and it's 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 a it's a really valuable service I think to me and probably to other people that coach jujitsu as well. So it's and it's cool. I think it's very cool that you've got that reason for doing something that, regardless of how many people that you reach, you're still going to do it because you're still going to make that contribution. Yeah. That's really what we do. Again, jiu-jitsu is like the coolest cult ever, and we're trying to get as many people into it as we can. <laughs> it's kind of how it's kind of what it is. Like, you want to hear about a jiu-jitsu guy? Like, ask him about jiu-jitsu, and he'll try to get you into jiu-jitsu. Do you think? Do you think people look at other people who don't do jiu-jitsu? Do you think they look at people the same way that um, people look at vegan crossfitters? That's kind of what we are. Again, I feel like <laughs> if, if you're more than like a couple years in jiu-jitsu, you know, like you're over that, like. Tell everyone about it, and it'll come up when someone asks about your ears. Um, 
but I feel like at heart, we, we want to, sh- people want to share what they're passionate about. Yeah. And if you do jujitsu, most likely because of kind of how hard of a sport is, you're relatively engaged in it because it, it sort of requires that level of intense engagement. And so as a result, it probably takes up a, a good section of your personal time and in your life. You also build friend groups from there. And then if someone asks you about it, you want to share that passion that you have for something with it. I think yeah. it's much like somebody that's really, really into another sport like basketball or football or CrossFit or being a vegan. They're really into that. It's a big piece of their life and their identity. And so when asked about it, they're, they're going to be excited to tell you about it. Yeah. So we kind of learn in just a community because it's a fight sport to modulate that a little bit because it's a little less accepted um, a lot of places than something like a diet or something like uh, a simple, like an exercise routine. I barely talk about it in work. I don't talk about it at all at work unless, unless it comes up, unless I'm wearing like a hoodie that has like a giant gym logo on the back and it comes up. Oh, you trained jujitsu. Yeah, I trained jujitsu. And then like, if it goes more like, we'll talk a little bit, but um, yeah. I kind of I keep, keep it to myself at work. Outside of work, that's what I'm talking about, though. Yeah. Or, or spending your entire weekend watching 27 hours worth of footage. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, usually, that's honestly, most weekends are usually only about like six, six or seven hours. Most weekends. Ah, oh, that's a good amount of jiu-jitsu, man. Do you reckon, do you, do you reckon it helps your jiu-jitsu watching it all? Um, well, I mean, my, I have a messed up back right now so now it's not helping anything but yeah definitely i definitely think it's helped a lot because you see what the high level guys are doing and it just gets you that much more familiar with the current meta and you identify weaknesses in your game like oh look at this high level guy like wordzinski's there i love to watch he plays a butterfly game and i play a butterfly game and so you watch what he does and what he has success with and like, okay that's what i should be doing there and then you can incorporate it and begin to use it and then you also watch you want someone to make a mistake and you're like, oh, wow, I've got to look out for that here. And so, yeah, it definitely makes your jiu-jitsu better. Um, if you're doing it and you're not just watching it, you're actually kind of doing what we do and analyzing it. You're looking mm. at, oh, wow, why did, he, why did he get that tradition? Oh, because the person bellied down. They anticipated X was going to happen and then Y happened instead. So be aware that Y can happen here with this sort of guy. Got it. This sort of guy. So it definitely makes, definitely makes you better. Or you see that like, wow, man, this dude is just super successful with the ankle. Like Tex Johnson. Like that dude grabs your foot and takes it home with him. Why is he so successful with that? And you look at what he does for the grip and how he hips in and like what his training is like. And you can see, okay, I understand more so why he's so successful with this. And if I can begin to incorporate some of the items that he does in this technique, I potentially will increase my success rate with this technique. Mm. Same thing with like the Donaher guys and the rear naked choke and their back control. You look at specific things that they do and you go, wow, he has a lot of success with this and it stops X, Y, and Z from escaping. Let me try to incorporate that. So yeah, definitely, it definitely makes you better. It doesn't make you better as fast as like actual mat time does, but it gives you nice high-level tricks to incorporate into matches and into training. There you go, guys. Watch more, watch more jujitsu, or listen, or listen to the grappling wine, grappling rewind podcast, and just get the highlights. There you go. They've got. They've already gone through all the fluff, and they're just going to give you just the good stuff. That's kind of what we try to do, honestly. Like, we understand that people don't have as much time as we do. So, like, we talk about the matches that we enjoyed and then the ones we, you should go back and rewatch. And then if that's all the time you have in the week, we try to cover it for you so that you don't have to do what we do and watch 20 hours of jiu-jitsu a weekend. There you go. Um, where, um, tell, tell, let people know where they can find you. 
yeah, so you can find us on Instagram at the Grappling at Grappling Rewind, Twitter, same thing, Facebook, Grappling Rewind. We it's gra- grappling, grappling underscore rewind. Yeah, grappling underscore rewind on Instagram. That's kind of the biggest platform. That's really where we have the most level of engagement. You can you know DM us for stuff there. Um, we also have a website, uh, grapplingrewind.com, and we have a giant events list there on mm. that website that has uh, usually has streaming links to every single location for every single event. Really? And so if you're interested in, we, so a big piece of what we do is there is no universal aggregate for professional events. And so a big piece of what I do every week is I find new events that are happening and I add them to this upcoming list. And then I put it on our website and then I put a how to watch it link on the side there so that you can go and you can look at the date and you can look at what event is happening and you can click and it'll take you directly to where that event is streaming so that you don't have to go and find all that information yourself. You can just follow along with us and watch these things live as we watch them if you're interested in doing that. So that's, that's, one that's very cool. Yeah, that's one yeah. of the things I'm kind of most proud about for the Grappling Rewind is that events list because uh, it's very, very hard to curate. And it, I think it's one of the biggest things that we give back to the community we our show is very good but the events list is if you're interested in professional jiu-jitsu it gives you a way to watch everything that is being streamed professionally and live for that weekend mm, yeah and i can see some stuff quite a, quite a lot of it's on on youtube as well so you can see that what stuff is free if you don't want to subscribe to the other services right it's very cool yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty proud of that personally. And then as, as things get closer, I add more, event, more uh, links to it. And ideally, yep. that'll be updated usually on about a Friday night. Uh, I add all the new lists for the next two weeks. Mm. Very cool. And your, and your podcast is available on all major, major platforms? iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast. It uh, comes out on Tuesday morning every week. And then on YouTube, it comes out on Wednesday. Oh, you've got it on YouTube as well. Yeah, yeah we, we, I, like to, I like to put the podcast out wherever people may listen to it. We don't have a ton of traction on YouTube. I don't really push the YouTube very much at all because uh, it's, just, just, it's just the audio. There's no accompanying video to it. Um, but I put it out there so that you know, there are definitely people that do listen to it only through YouTube. And I want, I want to give them an opportunity because like YouTube Red, you can listen to it on your phone uh, when it's turned off. So it yeah. gives them an opportunity to listen to the show that way as well. But we don't really do a whole lot with the YouTube other than that. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. So yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll put all the links in the show description, right? Because people can't understand my accent anyway, even if I do say it. Um, it's not that bad. I've also worked for in British labs for like a big portion of my career. So okay. you're I used am, to it. Uh, I'm, I'm used to the overseas accent. Oh, okay. Okay. We did well then. That's maybe where the conversation went so well. Oh, it's um, fine. Yeah. Any closing thoughts you want to leave people with? No, I just, again, I really appreciate you having me on your show. I'm a big fan of your show. I like the content. I like who you bring on. I like the conversation that you have. Uh, it's significantly different than, than our show. And I, I'm really appreciative that it's there and I'm a big fan of it. So I appreciate you having me on and it was a great conversation. And uh, I hope that I came across well here. Oh, you did. You did. No, man, you were awesome. This was a really good conversation. But with that, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up the recording. Guys, uh, thank you to Maine, and we'll, uh, we'll see you on the next show. I'm very excited to tell you that this podcast is brought to you by the Mallorca BJJ Yoga Festival. If you listen to one of our recent episodes with uh, Mr. Joe Nordebert, uh, who is a black belt instructor um, under the Hodger Gracie team and 
runs and, and teaches jiu-jitsu at his academy in Mallorca. He talked at length about a really exciting festival that he's got coming up in October of this year, the Mallorca BJJ Yoga, Yoga Festival. So obviously it's a mix of jiu-jitsu, it's a mix of yoga, and it's going to be for one week in, in October on the island of Mallorca, which is in the Mediterranean. If you've never been to Mallorca, it's an incredibly beautiful island, um, really idyllic, ama- amazing clear blue water, amazing food, amazing culture, and the weather in October is going to be absolutely perfect. So depending on where you live, if you need to escape the winter blues and get a dose of vitamin D, I've been to the island myself, spent time with Joel there. It's a fantastic place. He's a fantastic guy. But, uh, you know, more than that, you're going to get some incredible jiu-jitsu instruction there. The confirmed people so far, and these are only the ones that Joel's, Joel has announced, uh, Mauricio Gomez. Um, not every, Most of you will know who Mauricio is, but those of you who don't, that's Hodger Gracie's father. Um, so to learn jiu-jitsu, from one a person who in his own right was an incredible competitor back in his day you should listen to some of the stories but also would have been a key influence in the success of who is in my opinion the greatest jiu-jitsu fighter of all time that's a person you absolutely want to, to learn from um done a few lessons with him and myself in the past and can absolutely vouch for the quality of the instruction you'll get there also ross nichols uh, you know, one of the the most prominent uh, BJJ black belts in the UK. Ross was on the on the show a couple of weeks ago, and also you've got Daniel Strauss, aka the Raspberry Ape, uh, and uh, both Ross and Daniel, both Hodger Gracie black belts, both prominent uh, competitors in the UK scene. And Daniel Strauss, obviously very unique in his approach to strength and conditioning as well. So, and those are just the three people that Joe's announced. Um, and on, so there'll be there'll be jujitsu every day. There'll be yoga every day. You can mix and match between between them both. And it, it, knowing Joe, the setup is going to be brilliant. There's going to be amazing food there at this hotel. You know, these this guy knows how to, how to you know put on put on a good show. And what's even more exciting is that he's given me a discount code that I can give to you. That you can use to get ten percent off your booking plus 50 euros as a credit to spend at the hotel so if you bought a room for two people you'll get 10 percent off plus you will get 100 euros to spend at the hotel so that's a pretty good deal if you ask me that uh, code is early griff 50 i'll put it in the show description below so you, you know you, you can work past my accent and the other really good thing about um the way Joe has set this up is that it's only 250 euros to reserve a place. So if you haven't got all the money now, you can reserve your spot and you can actually get a refund up until the second, the second of August. So you can put your money down now because there's only 300 places, guys. 300 places and you know, with, with how big jiu-jitsu is in Europe at the moment, those are going to go quickly. So I've, if I was you, I would really, I would snap up the opportunity and get on top of that as quickly as you can. And if you're having an hour and just reserve your space and you've got up until, you have up until April the 2nd to get a full refund. So, you know, I'd advise you to book your space um, as quickly as you can. And then you can always get the refund up until April the 2nd. So I'm going to put any, a bit of information in the show description with the, 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 the discount code, uh, the at MBJJ Yoga Fest, the Instagram handle and also the website where you can go and book. Um, but, you know, at the very least, guys, get onto Instagram, follow those guys and find out what's going on. But I would highly recommend going to the festival in, in, in Mallorca, 
train BJJ for a week, do some yoga, have a have a damn good time, and you know, fingers crossed, maybe I can make it out there from California as well. But with that, guys, let's get on with the show.